Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you feeling after a, a pretty big win in Stillwater last weekend? Got the W. All it took was a Friday night home game, the first one since 1954 or whatever to get it done, but we got it done, Cade. How are you? Well, I just wanted to thank you for your service for being able to uh, represent the Feels Like 45 podcast boys in Stillwater. I had every intention to make it, and the stomach bug rampaged. Uh, really, I was going to say the household, but we mostly everybody stayed uh, healthy except for my daughter. And uh, so I didn't get, end up getting to go. So I just wanted to thank you for bringing the thunder because what a game. I mean, the total opposite of really kind of what I mean, I thought would happen. And I don't want to speak for you, but I know what our score predictions were. And I felt like you should have been able to flip our score predictions. And that should have been the final score with Oklahoma State really controlling the game. So uh, uh, just a really, really fun weekend of college football, especially being able to consume all of that on Saturday after a really big win on Friday. Yeah, agree. And and I'm glad the family is feeling better. Oh, thank you. As you can tell from representing, I lost my voice a little bit. And due to a little bit of a cough that I have, just kind of being a baby, it hasn't come all the way back. So apologies to the listeners. My already annoying voice is a little bit more annoying today. But Cade, it, it's a great point. You know, we thought, and we said it a bunch on last week's podcast, we got asked, when we did the mailbag about how many wins we thought Oklahoma state would end this season with. And we said, you know, getting to seven wins in the regular season would be really good, but we had no real idea on what to predict because we'd only seen one full game with one QB and not the three QB rotation. We'd only seen one full game with Ollie Gordon getting a majority of the snaps at running back. We'd seen some issues and maybe some, holes found in Brian Nardo's defense. So we just weren't really sure what to predict. I went into this game and, and, you know, got a couple of messages on Twitter and stuff about picking OSU to cover. Cause I said 34, 27 K state saying that that was being too optimistic. Wow. So I, I think it was, you know, a lot of people were kind of down on Oklahoma state and rightfully so with how they'd performed. And I was pleasantly surprised at the fact that, you know, really until the end of the game, there was four minutes left in the third quarter, and I believe it was 26 to seven. Right. So it, right. it was, it was, even though the final score ended 29 21 and Oklahoma State got a little conservative at the end, through two and a half, almost three full quarters, it was pretty much domination by the Cowboys on both sides of the football. Yeah, it's 100% correct. I do not think the final score does the way the game went justice. I, I felt like, especially going uh, five of six from uh field goal, uh, or I'm sorry, attempting six field goals, that alone indicates where Oklahoma State was in this game. I mean, th- it was ultimately a game where I felt like Oklahoma State should have won by 
you know, more than much more than eight, more like 28 potentially, if you just convert on a handful of red zone opportunities. So yeah, Dustin, it was great. Um, I, I have to say I was floored by the way it went to, to start K state on a three and out then to get the ball back and drive the length of the field in really just a totally efficient manner was, was shocking, but I think it set up the rest of the game for what ended up being really kind of shocking. I mean, you and I exchanged some texts in the pregame and not to give each other our flowers too early or talk about, you know, anybody specifically, but I think some of the things that ended up happening were some of the things that you and I individually as the week went on started to think may happen, namely a Cameron Epps, you know, stepping up and making a couple of plays. So really just a, um, a really interesting game and I, I'm thankful it went the way it did. Yeah. Well, I actually had that in my notes to read our text message conversation. When we well, get let's, to the let's get backs. to that later because I, I want to hear what you were going to say. So, so yeah, uh, Kate, I, I had kind of a, well, do you want to take a quick break for an I think read? we do. Thank you for saying that. This is a good time to remind you before we get into the show that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. Shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. And use the promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items when you shop with them. So Dustin... Let's get into it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you, and I know I know we text a little bit, but just to kind of get your full thoughts. Yeah. The night before I believe it was the night before the game, we see the picture on Lear Crawl's Instagram of him having surgery. We had mentioned on the podcast that we heard he was at practice with a big knee brace on his knee, thinking that maybe, and Gundy said he was day to day. So thinking that maybe he was just going to be out for a little while. He has the surgery. He's now out indefinitely. Then we get the news on game day of Justin Wright going ahead and wrapping it up for the season. What Gundy said is he just isn't fully ready to be back. Wanted to go ahead and take the medical red shirts as he only has one year of eligibility left. And then Deshaun, Deshaun Stribling, broken wrist that he sustained at practice out for the season. When you got all of that news, what were your thoughts heading into this game? Oh, no. I mean, it was literally like the guys, I mean, you and I talked about Justin, Wright. We talked about Deshaun Stribling as guys that could make a difference based on the way K-State wanted to do things. So Lyric Rawls, additionally, the way Cam Epps played the week before, I thought it was really kind of a disaster. I, I thought that it was like the precursor to the way the game was going to go based on really three, I mean, that's, that's three you know, not starters, but that's three critical pieces of your defense and offense. Yeah. And and for me, even with the depth that they have at the wide receiver core and guys like Rashad Owens, who, you know, the, the practice that I've mentioned multiple times where he was the MVP in my eyes from that practice, they have a lot of depth at that spot, but Dijon Stribling, we've seen how much of a game changer he is and how much Oklahoma misses him when he got injured earlier this year, only played five snaps. We kind of saw how that affected the Oklahoma state game plan. 
an offense. So it definitely had me a little bit weary kind of heading into this K-State game. But man, that opening script, that scripted drive, I believe it was 15 plays to get that first touchdown, 72 yards. Was that the best script of the Casey Dunn era? And I'm, I have a recency bias. I didn't go back through and look at every single script he had run, but especially at least this season and definitely obviously the end of last season for sure. But man, we had, we had counter, we had power. We had a reverse flea flicker, which I remember that from Florida state scoring on LSU two years ago. They ran like that exact same play out of that exact same formation We had RPO, we had straight drop pack passing game with some snag concepts mixed in. We had some solid blocking, and then you get the touchdown. It was after seeing that drive, and and again, in the stadium, not able to kind of tell everything that's going on, but after rewatch, watching that drive, that's kind of what we I had seen at practice, what we had heard Oklahoma State was going to start mixing in. And it goes back to you and I kind of talking about, I think they had a lot of this stuff and Gundy even mentioned it today in his press conference. They had a lot of this stuff in the playbook. They just hadn't gotten to it yet because of probably a multitude of reasons, you know, playing some more inferior opponents in the pre in the almost said preseason in the non-con thinking about it kind of like the preseason, the quarterback rotation, trying to rotate, some of the transfers in all of the stuff that Gundy has kind of talked through. And then you finally see as they've gotten some continuity on the offensive side of the ball, not just quarterback and running back, but offensive line with Springfield back. They're able to do this and march down the field on a Kansas state defense. That's I know it's had its issues in the passing game and with explosives, but it's been a pretty good defense and one of the best rush defenses in the country. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I, to answer your question, if it's the best, I think it's up there. I also think in general, Casey Dunn doesn't get enough credit for being a pretty good scripter of that opening drive. Like you look back at South Alabama, if Jaden Bray catches the ball, that was a great opening script. I go back. I remember uh, the Texas game in 2020 during the COVID year, Oklahoma State marched down the field and ran a couple of concepts that we had not seen yet. I think Landon Wolf uh, in the corner ended up, you know, just a, a random play that you had not seen yet. He does script games pretty well, at least those opening drives. So I don't think he gets enough credit for that. But I would say yes, Dustin. I think the way they were able to sustain a 15 play drive against one of the better defenses in the conference is really impressive. And I think scripting aside, I think that it should give you some confidence going forward that this offense is capable. I mean, at least to me, if you would have told me that Oklahoma state's going to sustain a 15 play drive against Kansas state after that South Alabama game or the Arizona state game, I would have thought you were crazy. I mean, they've, they've taken the ocean, which was their offense's problems. If that was how large, the amount of problems they had was, and now they've turned it into red zone execution. Like in four weeks, this has really turned a 180. And I think you have to acknowledge that when you look at this team, think about that Arizona State game. I mean, the first half, they would they were sputtering, even when Alan Bowman was in and quarterback was moving, they were sputtering. 
a drive would get stalled by a penalty. Uh, you would, you'd have an off time, uh, you know, run blown up in the backfield that sets the drive back. There was none of that. So Dustin, I, I just was, I was very impressed with the opening game plan and the game plan in general. I thought that they did a much better job of moving guys around, utilizing a guy like Rashad Owens. I, I really liked against this Kansas state team. So there's a bunch to take away, but I, overall I was, you know, I was floored with how, how well it went. Yeah. And we didn't see, you know, the under center or anything like that as much, but 51% zone runs. That's the lowest percentage of zone runs. They had 11 gap scheme runs. So I'm just counting the power in the counter. They mixed in ISO, which is more of a man blocking scheme, probably more similar to gap than zone. Pre-snap motion at 55% of the snaps is how I track that. I believe their highest was 40% at Arizona State. They were 35% against Iowa State. So you saw that heavily increase. See Jake Springfield back, which we talked about. Dalton Cooper again at left tackle. Cole Birmingham's first game at left guard, mixing in there with Jason Brooks. They basically rotated each quarter, which was a little bit interesting. Birmingham came in late in the third quarter, so it wasn't an even split. But Chris Kleiman, Cade, I wanted to get to one of his quotes from after the game. He kind of echoed the thoughts that we just had, you know, talking about the RPO game. He was asked about it. He says they've done that in the past. They haven't done it a lot this year, but they've done it against (laughs) us, and we struggled with them. You really struggle when you can't stop the run. They were creasing us for seven, eight yards a pop. You can't hold forever on those RPOs. So it was a combination of us just getting beat at the line of scrimmage, and they were getting good yards. He kind of says that they were Oklahoma State was doing things against Kansas State that they didn't show on tape. And also, we see when they're able to get the running game going and the quick passing game going early, that's when they can add in the play action. That's when they can add in the RPO game. And it actually works effectively because it holds that K-State conflict player who thinks, hey, you know, I can't just crash on the run. They're going to throw it right over my head. And Oklahoma State's able to read that. Alan Bowman's able to read that and make the decision on whether to give to Ollie or pull it back and throw. And it in the first half, it was killing Kansas yeah. State. No matter what they did, if they pressed up on the on the wide receivers, if they were in off coverage, which they were early, they just weren't really able to figure out how to defend this Oklahoma State offense. And I loved it. And, and you could tell, Cade, kind of going even out of the script. So Alan Bowman was 11 for 16 between zero and 10 yards downfield. They were running mesh. They were running snag. They were running double slants. These are all your typical air raid concepts, which Alan Bowman feels comfortable in. And I love that Casey Dunn's able to kind of tailor those comfortable concepts into Bo- into the game plan, into it for Bowman. And it was, you could tell he was more confident and he was able to stay in the pocket and complete throws that we haven't seen him complete this year. Well, I think that last piece is what stood out to me, how cleanly the offensive line played in pass protection, which early on in the season, we at least I was, I won't put you in this, I was as disappointed with pass protection as I was with the way they were run blocking. But in this game, the offensive line, was outstanding in pass protection. And I think it shows in the way Alan Bowman played. I thought as the game went on, I thought he was so sharp early, but I, I really thought he made some great throws down the stretch that we don't have a great sample size to go off of, 
but you could tell he was pretty comfortable back there. And I mean, it had to be driving Kansas state nuts because they just couldn't get any pressure on him. So I, the game plan was outstanding. I thought Alan Bowman was awesome. I mean, he, I tweeted this and I, I think it's even more true today that that was the cleanest half of football that an Oklahoma state quarterback has played in a long time. And Spencer Sanders played a lot of good football, but he didn't play a ton of clean football. So I, I thought Alan Bowman was, was great. Yeah. And kid, you mentioned like kind of segued us perfectly into the offensive line, talking about the pass protection. We can talk about them at one by one, kind of like we do, but in terms of pass protection, when I pulled the PFF stats, they had him as being under pressure on only 11% of his yeah. throws, and they had him at 40% against Iowa State. So just that alone, Kansas State didn't blitz a ton. I think I had them on seven of his dropbacks, bringing five or more. PFF has 11 dropbacks that he was blitzed, which is 30%. So not not a lot, but not... Not nothing. I mean, 30% is a good chunk of his snaps. And they just weren't able to get any pressure. I wanted to start the offensive line conversation, yeah. Cade, with Dalton Cooper. I think he has looked so much, not not just better than who else has been playing left tackle, as in Cole Birmingham. I think the contrast from him on the right side to the left side of the line has been stark in terms of just looking more comfortable. He looks quicker. He's getting up to the second level. There were two different times when he got up to the second level and tossed Kansas state weak side linebacker, Austin Moore around like a rag doll, barely getting it. I mean, not barely getting a hand on him. He got up there, but this is a huge six, seven, 300 pound lineman getting out there on a weak side linebacker at the second level and just throwing him to the ground twice. He was able to kick out, especially Springfield did a good job of this as well. But whenever Oklahoma State had either Cooper or Springfield, whoever it was, whenever the wide side of the field, the field side was to them, and Kansas State had their five technique, which is lined up on kind of the outside shoulder of the tackle, so outside shoulder of Cooper, and they just kind of kicked him out. Cooper and Springfield were doing a great job of kicking that guy completely out of the play and whether the O-line was flowing that way or flowing opposite, it would open a hole between Cooper and Brooks or between Springfield and Wilson. And Ollie's able to either take that hole right off the bat or cut back through it. All of the big runs consisted of some type of hole in between the left guard and the left tackle or the right guard and the right tackle. So kind of that B-gap area. And I just, th I just thought Dalton Cooper was amazing and every aspect of the game, probably one of the better games from any Oklahoma state offensive lineman this year in that game. Yeah. You just said it. I think one of the better games we've seen from an Oklahoma state offensive lineman in a long time, I thought multiple guys stepped up, but it became apparent, especially in that second half when they ran off the left side, K state did not have an answer. And it, I mean, they, they found so much success as the game went on going behind Dalton Cooper, which I think, I, I can't remember the last time they've just had a kind of go-to guy on the offensive line that you feel like if they just run there, they're going to be in good shape. And I think you have to give some credit to Ollie Gordon. I think his vision is outstanding. I think we had questions about it early on, but as this offensive line has seemingly found what it is and, and who needs to be where, I mean, Ollie Gordon off that left side behind Dalton Cooper is uh, is kind of a nightmare for for opposing defenses. And if Oklahoma State can mix up 
formations and and run some counters that you wouldn't see coming onto the weak side of a formation on the left. I think that they really can put a defensive like Kansas in a bad spot. So um, really just a good moment to talk about Dalton Cooper, because I think that he at the left tackle spot, as much as Alan Bowman playing two games, I think he has changed the offense almost entirely just by him being at the left tackle spot. Yeah. And I had one whiff by him early in the second half that led to a play getting stopped. But other than that, I'm looking at my notes right now. That's really the only one. And and not just the big 30 plus yard run Ollie had on that zone run where he, which honestly that play almost looked a little bit like duo. We don't have to get into that, but the way they were kind of changing up some of their aiming points with those double teams, it was pretty interesting. It was almost a Oklahoma State still blocking zone, but they were doing it a little bit differently. And Gundy even mentioned changing some of their concepts in terms of run game in his presser. But there was a run in the third quarter where Ollie takes the hole in between Josiah Johnson, who kicked out the Kansas State edge guy, and Brooks and Cooper kind of block down on their two D linemen. And Cooper just seals that edge defender, that defensive end completely. And Ollie just has a huge hole. I think he got about 12 yards on that run. But man, there were, there were five or six instances where Cooper was kind of setting that play up. And like I said, he's getting out to the second level, blocking the weak side linebacker. He blocked a cornerback on one play. So it was pretty awesome all around. And his two running mates, I, I thought, you know, it was a little odd that Jason Brooks was getting subbed in and out. I think he may have been one of the guys that got a little bit banged up at practice last week that we didn't get clarification on. But man, I thought the first quarter for Jason Brooks might have been his best quarter as an Oklahoma State Cowboy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I especially And if you watch the game, and I don't know how many of our listeners go back and rewatch, you would still have noticed him. Right. Like he was very good to the point where it popped live. And I I, touchdown. Right. He blocked three people. Well, he blocks two different people and then he pushes Ollie into the end zone. I think he was feeling himself quite a bit. I think if you saw him in the post game, you saw some of his socials. I don't know if it was a get right game for him, but he played extremely well. I thought. And again, I, I shouldn't have. I knew we were going to get to Queso Brooks, but the left side of the offensive line collectively, whether it's Birmingham or Brooks plus Cooper, that's that's as good of a piece of the offensive line as right now that they've had in a couple of years, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. That that play that I'm talking about, power, so he's the pulling backside guard, makes a great block. But him and Cassidy, I believe, are blocking the same guy. So he sheds off him, blocks somebody else, gives Ollie the space, and then Ollie gets kind of held up by another defender. So Brooks comes behind and kind of helps push him into the end zone. He got blown backwards a couple times early in the second half, which makes me think that maybe he was a little banged up because he had just sat for the whole second quarter, come out and possibly a little stiff. That's just my speculation. But he had a great block on that zone run in the third quarter I was talking about. I just thought I thought the first quarter was great. I thought he regressed a little bit in the third quarter, but I thought he was good all around. And, and you mentioned Cole Birmingham. So Cole Birmingham, I think he graded out better in terms of pass blocking. He did. He was the second 
highest graded PFF pass blocker. And this is where I think the PFF grades are a little iffy when it comes to linemen. Cause I had a whiff from him late in the third quarter in pass pro. I had a whiff from him in the fourth quarter in pass pro that led to Bowman being rushed both of those times. I, the, I think those were two of the pressures that we're talking about the 11% pressures. There was a third and one that led to the fake punt. I thought that was on him. That was his fault yeah. that that Ollie wasn't able to get the first down. And I thought he really struggled still getting up to the second level. He did look better at guard, I think, than tackle. But if Brooks is fully healthy, I'm not sure I love the rotation there. I don't think, I mean, if Brooks is fully healthy, I would agree with you, but it seems like he may not be. And I mean, that would be the only reason because I I just think, and you, you hate to single a guy out, but he has struggled for the majority of this season, wherever he's been. And I, I do think part of it is just get him getting his sea legs back. It's been so oh, it's long 100% injury getting related. moved around. I mean, this is, this is not an easy situation for him. And so, you know, it's unfortunate for him. I do give some credit to Charlie Dickey though, for having made that move at left tackle. And then ultimately I think he's leading with his best option at left guard, which is Brooks. So. Yeah. And we've talked about it and we've talked about it with Adam Lund on this podcast outside of Dalton Cooper, the Oklahoma State offensive line, the guys that play, they're pretty much all guards. They're all <laughs> interior offensive yeah, linemen. pretty much. So you've got a bunch of depth there. And I, I think having Birmingham, Birmingham to spell a Jason Brooks and then having a Taylor Materko to spell either a Jason Brooks or a Preston Wilson is awesome moving forward. And Davis Dotson, we've been hearing great things about him. He's still a little banged up. I believe it was a knee sprain, but he should be back this year even adds to that even more. So I love the depth at guard. I love Birmingham at guard over tackle. I just think until he's fully back from that injury, I would try to have Brooks out there as much as possible, but I'm fine with rotating guys and giving them a break, whether that be Materico, whether that be Birmingham at either guard spot. So I did love it. And speaking of interior offensive linemen, Joe Mahulski at the beginning of that game we said this year he struggled with that zero tech nose, that guy in his face. I thought he actually had a pretty good first half. Uso, K-State's not nose tackle number 99. He's a beast. So whenever it wasn't him, I thought he looked better when they had one of their other guys rotating in. But I still thought Joe did pretty good in the first half. He still had a couple of snaps that were a little iffy, but I think he cleaned that up some. I just thought, I thought overall he has been kind of consistent, not amazing, not terrible. I didn't think there were any really missed assignments on his part. He struggled a little bit as the game went on. I think he's just wearing down from having that nose guard in his face the entire game. But I thought he was pretty good again. I thought he was pretty physical at times too. I mean, on on some yeah, of those... moving the nose tackle yeah, out of the way. Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, you see glimpses of it, but I thought that that was one of... You know, when you go back and rewatch it, I thought it was one of his better halves of football that he's played. I, I just, uh, considering the opponent as well, Kansas State's interior defensive line is very good. They have not given up very many rushing yards uh, all season. I think that he played pretty well. I mean, all things considered. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And then on the right side of the line, Wilson had a couple of whiffs early pulling the QB power lead. I think if he 
lands his pull block. Bowman probably gets a few more yards, but not a huge deal there. Not great on his first GH counter pull. But then I put a clip on Twitter of him hustling after the play on a zone read. And he's making a block that is able to get Bowman some extra yards. So kind of makes up for that pull on the QB power lead. He made a nice play on a third and four run. I think that Nixon had in the first quarter. There were a couple of there were a couple of issues in pass pro, I think, where maybe he got blown backwards a little bit off the snap initially. But I thought overall, he has looked really good at this right guard spot. I definitely don't think right guard is an issue with this offensive line right now in terms of missed assignments or anything like that. Wilson's a pretty smart guy. We've said that. He's played all over this line. I thought he played well. I, I thought he was one of the reasons this Oklahoma State offensive line was able to kind of operate really efficiently, especially early in the game. So I, I think I think Wilson played well. And then I'll kick it back over to you, but since we talked about him a little bit just to wrap up the offensive line, having Jake Springfield back is a huge plus at right tackle. I think he's been I think he was better than Dalton Cooper over there. I think he was better than Cole Birmingham when he got moved over there firing off the ball early looked like he was so happy to get back on the field had a couple whiffs didn't look great in the red zone at times but I, I thought overall the right side of the line finally was able to kind of hold up with what we saw from the left side of the line in that Iowa State game yeah I I, I completely agree with you I think too as the season goes on and guys stay in the lineup. I mean, Wilson and Springfield have not played together this season much standing next to each other with Springfield's injury. I think that they are set up for a similar improvement that we've seen on the left side. You just hope everybody stays healthy because I think for the first time in a while, start to see the pieces coming together on the offensive line. The whiffs are uh, maybe less impactful. Iowa State was not good. There were several impactful ones. And you can't take one game and say it's better, but I I do feel like it's getting there. Yeah, and I w- before we move completely into the running backs and on the rest of the offense, I did want to take a second here, Cade. You know, we mentioned the red zone issues. They kicked a lot of field goals when they got into the red zone. I do think it's a little bit on Casey Dunn getting some more creativity and things like that, but. This Oklahoma State offensive line, I don't know if it's really something that's correctable, but they're just not, they're not super physical. They're not the biggest guys. We've talked about that. You know, Jason Brooks himself is a little bit undersized weight-wise. They've got a couple of guys banged up. They did well until you got kind of in the scoring zone, in the red zone to cover guys up as Gundy likes to call it, getting in guys ways, opening holes by sealing guys off. But when you get in the red zone and you actually have to move the defensive line backwards with force, especially a defensive line like K States, they struggle there. Yeah. And I think that's why I think it's a little bit on the offensive line, a little bit on Casey Dunn, because as Casey Dunn sees that the first couple of trips into the red zone, I think he has to start making some adjustments and scheming some things up. Now, the other issue is there were some penalties. Uh, I think Elijah Collins missed a hole in his one run that could have possibly gotten a first down. You had a drop from Josiah Johnson when you got into the red zone that would have gained a couple yards. You had a missed hole from Jaden Nixon, even though that was third and 19, so I'm not sure he gets there. 
But I just wanted to kind of key on the offensive line right there because I, I don't think it's – I'm not saying they're weak. They dominate in the weight room. They're just not the biggest, baddest dudes in the country on offensive line. And I think that's where you're seeing some of these red zone issues as they're not able to just push guys back and get four yards when they really need it in the red zone to punch the ball in. I I think it's a great point because as we sit here giving the offensive line some credit after a tough start to the season, I mean, they they were rightly called out by Mike Gundy in some post game and, and in really in the media session this morning. I thought that they, I mean, frankly, on several third and three, third and two, they were not as physical as they needed to be. And I would agree with you that if you've seen enough and you've seen some things, if you're Casey Dunn, that says, okay, we're really struggling in these short yardage situations, you've got to pull the plug on some things that you were going to do and reach into the bag a little bit because I think they've got it. I think that they have ingenuity in the playbook. I mean, we saw it with the uh, GH counter that they ran with uh, Brennan Presley. I mean, that that is the, that, that is the creativity that we've been talking about. And it didn't work, so you can't really put that on Casey Dunn. He calls the play, but he doesn't run it. And so I see it, and I agree with it. I think it's at a certain point, though, your guys have to block, and they did not. I mean, Mike Gundy said they they flat out got whooped, and they did. I mean, it, and that's going to be probably the second-best defensive line they play all year, probably behind Oklahoma, but it will come up again in multiple situations. I mean, Kansas state or Kansas this weekend, not the best run defending team, but they're not like Kansas of old. So. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I know the red zone issues are a big topic and you and I wanted to hit on it, but I think a lot of the blame is kind of going on the offensive coordinator. And I I do think he should take some, but I, I do think this Oklahoma state offensive line has some deficiencies in the fact that, they're just not the most physical bunch out there and I'm not trashing them. I, I just think it's a overall kind of size, just strength, just everything. They're more right. of a technique type group. So it it's tough, but I, I'm sure they'll figure it out as they move forward. They've continued to kind of figure things out. We're seeing them improve moving to the running backs and mainly just Ollie Gordon because he got a bulk of the snaps again, if you remove Cade, the four kneel downs, and I'm taking away the fake punt because they kind of ran that out of a special teams formation. So I don't want to give Oklahoma State right. offense the credit for that. 5.1 yards per carry. And if you remove the quarterback and the wide receiver runs, which we talked about the Brennan Presley GH counter and the reverse, 5.6 yards per carry from the running backs and five rushes over 14 plus yards. When was the last time? I mean, you got to go back to Jalen Warren. Yeah, I think five so. rushes for over 14 plus yards. I think Oklahoma State went multiple games last season without rushes over 10 plus yards. The the game that jumps out is like TCU. I, for whatever reason in 2021, that feels like the last time that they ever ran the ball really well. So, and by the way, if anybody's ever wondered about our methodology on on how to break these uh, running stats out. It's the correct one. Like the way you do it by saying the way they run out of a set at 5.8 yards per carry. When you remove all the other stuff, it's the correct way. So I just wanted to give you some props on well, that because it's the way you have to look at it. 
I get I get some people wanting to keep the sacks in, but I try to make sure it's a the true NFL pass does. play if I'm taking the sacks out. Right. But take it, you have to take the kneel bounce out. That's not fair. Yeah. Those are right. you're you're kneeling the ball. Those are counted as a team rush. So when Mike Gundy says what was it, four point five yards per carry on the stat broadcast? Some of that was 4. his 4. fault for calling a kneel down. You've got four team rushes for minus seven yards. You got to add, you got to take the number of rushes away and add the seven yards back. Or it doesn't really, I mean, that's you're discrediting your own offense because you're giving away those yards. We need to get to run the clock out. But yeah, th- thank you for my flowers there. But Kate, what I wanted to get to next before we talked about Ollie anymore, they, how there was seven, seven different personnel groupings used in this game that they were able to run the ball out of they ran the ball out of all seven so we saw 11 personnel 45 percent of the time we saw 20 personnel for 27 percent of the time which i think we saw a little bit more of the fullbacks in this game because my understanding from casey dunn after the game is josiah johnson's been a little banged up and we saw him get banged up i think twice in this game to come back in very tough kid but i think that's why we saw a little bit more 20 but we even saw 30 with two fullbacks in the diamond formation. We saw 22, 21, which we've seen this year, 12, even for, I think it was just one play with the two tight ends, but Oklahoma state really mixed it up in terms of how they ran the ball. We talked about the counters, the power runs, even the QB power lead. We saw the QB draw RPO again, and we saw zone read, which we haven't seen much this year. I think aside from Gunnar Gundy, maybe running at once. And that was a Spencer Sanders staple special earlier in his career. So I just wanted to kind of continue to note the creativity, the things that were mixed in. And I realized that we got conservative late in the game. But Kate, correct me if I'm wrong. Mike Gundy has won so many games being conservative at the end of the game. He's made fans mad so many times being conservative at the end of the game, including you and I watching it live. Uh Uh-huh. He's never going to not do it until he starts consistently losing games doing that. So I, it's not, I'm not saying like fans get used to it. I'm not trying to be that guy. I just, I'm I mean, not going to bash Casey Dunn for that because that's just a Mike Gundy thing. He's always done a little bit of it is get used to it because if you're not by now, I literally think Mike Gundy enjoys it and he should, because he wins so many games because he doesn't make the big coaching mistake. I mean, truly wins the last, I mean, maybe you would say the three quarterback rotation was the big coaching mistake, but an in-game decision. I can't remember the last time I've just been like, that was a major factor in the game. And I think that's a little bit of the head coach's job is to make sure that your decisions help the team. And frankly, you look at Chris Kleiman, who I don't know if he's an analytics guy. And by that, I mean, I don't know if he's like religiously going by it, but I thought, that Mike Gundy coached circles around Chris Kleiman and especially oh, yeah. regarding his in-game decision-making. I mean, I get that the analytics may tell you to go for two, but you need an extra point to be down one touchdown. I feel like at some point you need to be the smart one in the room and say, I have the brain, not the computer. And I think that's what Mike Gundy does better than most is he doesn't just make the silly coaching mistake. You know what I mean? Even, oh, yeah, even no. when I thought he was going to, punt and then they end up faking it and not getting it i still thought that was the right decision because i thought you should go for it there and he did 
yeah, you're. it's a great call out by you. And again, not saying Gundy never makes wrong decisions. I've questioned some of the timeout usage even this year. I'm just saying he's not going to change. So I'm not, go- I'm not going to take it out on Casey. Not Dunn's going to, so quit asking. Yeah. I'm not going to take it out on Casey Dunn's play calling, which I feel like you and I have been pretty cl- critical of Casey Dunn's play calling this year. I'm not going to bash him for that. Cause I know a hundred percent Mike, I, I mean, I don't know a hundred percent, but I'm pretty, pretty positive. Mike Gundy's on the headset whenever they have that. What did I say? It's 26 to seven lead with like three yeah. minutes left in the third quarter. And I think we start going a little bit more conservative. You saw Wes Paul used to punt the guy who's got the the bigger leg of the two punters. So that just wanted to note that as we were saying, you know, we liked Casey Dunn's game plan, things like that. No, there's an asterisk there for the in-game concern. I mean, do you think that's fair? I think it is fair. I think, especially in those red zone trips, like we've already talked about it. I think that's where it really showed up. And to me, I even tweeted it like, I was critical on Friday night. I thought that I can't remember the the play, but I think it was uh golly. I can't remember. There was a red zone trip that resulted, I think, in a turnover on downs. And they had a play drawn up that was basically nonsense. And it I think they ran three straight times, is what it ended up being. It was just a really ugly series of execution, really no creativity. So I would agree with you on that. Yeah. And Back to the running backs. Sorry to derail us there, but I I, no, I didn't know where to make that point. I thought that was a good spot right after we talked running game and things like that. 21 attempts, 136 yards, one touchdown, 6.5 yards per carry. I know that's not a DJ Giddens against, what was it? Was that against UCF where he ran for 207 yeah. yards or whatever? Yeah. I know it's not that type of game in 300 total yards of offense. But to me, this is Ollie's big breakout game in the game that I was kind of looking for from him. Not saying I thought he was awesome at Iowa State, but not only did he have the big runs in this game with the, what, he had one run for 33 yards, he had one run for 36, but then he had three additional runs, like I said, over 14 yards. And his vision, you noted it earlier, his ability to kind of extend the play with his physicalness. He showed off a stiff arm twice, I believe on the same Kansas State cornerback, McAllister. <laughs> Did it to him two times on two different runs. Blocked well. He The block he's able to lay on the rollout that Bowman likes to do when the line kind of, we talked about it, hinge blocks, walls him off. And Ollie's just kind of his lead blocker. He lands that block every time. Yep. But he had one whip in pass pro, but... Other than that, he blocked really well. He blocked really well on Bowman's QB power lead. I thought his lead block there kind of sprung Bowman to get that first down. Just an amazing game overall from Ollie Gordon. And definitely, I think, his best game so far as a Cowboy. I know there's not many to go off of. But this is the kind of game that catapults his career forward. And I think you could see a guy that, you know what, he's got 336 yards rushing at this point in the season, but now he's going to be the feature back for the remaining seven games and hopefully bowl game. I think you go, I think realistically he can go over a thousand yards, which is, I mean, it's a little wild because I don't think either of us thought that that was going to be possible just based on what we had seen the last couple of years. 
Dustin, I thought Ollie was amazing. I have a question for you. The It was fourth and one. This was the series they got the field goal blocked on. He lines up as the Wildcat. What do you think he was going to run? Man, uh, probably probably something he ran at Euless Trinity in high school when he was quarterback all senior year. I think he was going to throw it. I really do. I think he was so excited. I think he was going to do a little Tim Tebow pop pass because I think they had somebody out. I I can't remember the formation. I should have screenshotted these things. just had a catalog of these, but he had somebody right there and he was leaning forward and got flagged for the false start. But I think he was going to throw it. I really do. I love that. And that, Kate, that plays into the Kate, not totally on Casey Dunn for the right. red zone because and if, that was a creative play. That's the drive. They got two penalties in a row on ineligible downfield and then false start back to back. Now it's first and 20 in the red zone. Even if he didn't end up throwing it, I thought that the line, the lineup was super awesome to roll Ollie out there as the Wildcat. We have not seen that yet. You would expect something like that with a 6'2", 220-pound running back on your roster. But Dustin, just to get to Ollie as a whole, we have not had a player like that at running back before. I mean, what he's able to do in the open field, his combination of power and speed is pretty special. I mean, he's going to be an NFL running back. I think I've seen through three games, I'll go the Arizona State game, Iowa State game, and this, where he's gotten a amount of touches that you feel like you can grade him on, he's been excellent. So he's the feature back. I don't know if Jaden Nixon should be your two. He seemed to be the second guy off every time. I've got something on him too. I just feel like Ollie unlocks so much for you offensively. And as this offensive line hopefully continues to improve, I I think this weekend I'm going over under like 140. Yeah. And the other thing about him is off the field, All he's talking about after the game is how awesome the offensive line is and how hard they work. He's tweeted about them, quote tweeting about the offensive line. He's giving Alan Bowman a kiss through his helmet on the head after Alan has to call the timeout after the big play to Jaden Bray, which set them up in the red zone, right? Which, you know, later they don't have a great series after that, but still, yeah, yeah, the one we just talked about, he's. Talking about after, you know, they asked him about lining up at quarterback like in high school and that when he had the false start and he did, they were, the media was trying to be fun with it. And he's like, man, I should have been way louder. I messed that whole thing up. Just taking the blame himself. He's just, and he gets engaged with the fans. He's always very energetic during the alma mater at the end of the game. I just love Ollie all around when I, at that practice I was at. He's so hyped up during practice that other players are having to kind of calm him down at practice from a touchdown being scored. He's just he, awesome all around. His joy is infectious, I think. I mean, he it seems like he's every time the he comes up on the big board or the camera pans to him after a play, it seems like he's always smiling or laughing about something. And I mean, he stiff arms dudes into the turf multiple it's a great times. Stiff arm. I'm that's not anything Oklahoma State's had at running back in a long time. At, to be able to have that in your arsenal where he's got the elusiveness, he's got the vision, he's got the speed. I mean, that stiff arm that he put on that Kansas State safety coming down to try to make the tackle, that I don't think the broadcast gave it enough credit. I mean, he literally dribbled him. He put his hand on his helmet and bounced him off the turf. I just, 
I don't know what more you can say about Ollie Gordon. I feel like he should have had multiple touchdowns in this game. I felt like it was a coming out party for him. Absolutely. Um, and I just it, love that he's hitting the hole so hard. I think that's the thing that I keep coming back to is he has a crease and he hits it. Yeah. And he's showing off that little jump jump cut Absolutely. in the backfield when he sees that cutback lane or he's able to bend. Like one of those big runs was actually a GH counterplay and the hole he was supposed to go to on the field side B gap was completely closed. So he cut it back in between Springfield and Wilson, who kind of got jumbled up right there and took off. So it's just amazing vision from him. And you see a play later where the same thing happens on that third and 19 for Jaden Nixon, and he does not see that cutback hole. So just kind of a comparison there between those two and the vision there. The one thing I'll leave you with, Cade, before we move on to Nixon, there were still a couple holes he missed. Yeah. So he's still continuing to learn, improve. And by saying that, I'm not trying to critique him. I'm trying to say that there's room for improvement and there's still a ceiling there for Ali Gordon. Oh, no question. I mean, he's played, I, mean, I don't know how many snaps he's had in his career, but it's not enough to uh, not get really excited about what this is going to look like when he's a junior and this offensive line is cooking. I mean, I, I don't want to get to next year. We don't have to talk about it, but like this roster is starting to get pretty interesting in my mind just based on what you're starting to see. I, I just felt like even the Iowa State game, it didn't go the way you wanted defensively, but I thought the glimpses were there. You put a little bit more together against Kansas State. I mean, is Kansas the 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 offensive uh, show that we're all waiting for? Are they going to break 30? I think so. So, Caden, on to Nixon. Do you want to go on your take or do you want me to go? Because I actually have a take on this as well and kind of the Nixon-Collins situation. You go ahead because mine is specific to a certain play, but it's a similar issue that we've talked about. Okay. So snap counts for running backs. Ollie had 64. That's 83%. Nixon had 12. That's 16%. And Elijah Collins actually only had one snap on offense because the fake punt is a special team snap. So I did not count that as an offensive snap. Nixon ran for 14 yards on five carries. That's 2.8 yards per carry. My take on Nixon and why he's maybe get because we talked about this last week. That's why I wanted to circle back to it. Why he's getting carries and snaps over Collins. And I, I don't know if Collins is banged up at all. I'm assuming they're both healthy since Collins came in on that fake punt and ran over a guy to get the first down. I think Nixon has maybe a little bit below average running back vision probably average as a run as a blocker in pass pro for his size, probably average. I know we've talked about whiffs and things of that nature with him, but he does give effort. I think overall he's probably and and you know, kind of his wiggle open field shake, maybe average for a running back, maybe a little below average. But the thing is his elite speed and big playability, which we saw on the 60 yard touchdown catch, I think Oklahoma State's offense needs that because really I think Brennan Presley is the only other guy who kind of has that dynamic ability that could catch the ball and run it for 70 yards without being touched due to the speed. Presley's a little bit more with shiftiness as well. I think that is why he's getting That's snaps over Collins because I think Collins is probably a better running back 
but we talked about this. He's maybe a little bit more similar to Ollie in the fact that he's kind of a run you over type guy who does have shiftiness, but I think they, and if they only put Nixon in when they're going to throw a deep ball to him or going to throw a screen pass yep. to him, the defense will get that every time. So I, I know that was a little bit of a soapbox on that. And I'm not saying Nixon shouldn't play. I just, I, I've had a couple of people ask like, Hey, what happened to Collins? That's kind of my take on the situation. I could be completely wrong, but those are my thoughts. No, I think it's a really good point. I think people probably wonder a little bit. Frankly, it's it's good to see Ollie get the bulk of the carries. You have to get him some blow, whether if you take a big step back or not with that second running back. But I I love what you said about Nixon's just a little bit more dynamic as an athlete. You have to prepare for him a little bit more than you would in Elijah Collins. I think that's a really good point on your end. He just he does not see the cutback well. And I think it's it's what Ollie has shown a little bit of an ability to do. It's what Jalen Warren, who's now an NFL, you know, running back battling Najee Harris for, you know, starting type carries in, in Pittsburgh. So it may be a little bit unfair that I've got that barometer to go on. But I mean, second time in a row, second week in a row, we've talked about Jaden Nixon and on a very similar play, you you put this in the Twitter thread. He's got a power run where the guard pulls. Preston Wilson is pulling. But Jake Springfield has basically cleared out the right side to where Jay Nixon has got to make one guy miss. But instead, he walks into kind of the mess and then sidesteps it and gets to the hole. But if he just hits that hole, he's got to make one guy miss and he might score. And so you got to think that that's being coached up. Like, hey, I know this is power, but look at this. Like, just maybe broaden your horizons a little bit because you may have scored right here with your speed. And I just, it's kind of like the way they use Tyreek in a way. I just don't know if Jaden Nixon is going to realize his full potential as a running back. Like, I, I, I'm not saying moving to wide receiver or anything like that. These are these are consistent themes we've seen over the last couple of years. And he we said it for Ollie, so we got to say it here. And I thought, hey, those were all perfect points. And you let you and I are on the same page with this, which I, I knew we would because we've talked about it off the podcast. He is young, though, just he like is. Ollie. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's got yeah. two years of eligibility left. He outside of last year has not really played a lot. But yes, I, I agree. I think until he improves his vision and his ability to see these running lanes, I don't think he'll be able to realize his full potential. And then, you know, you only get the one run from Collins. And I thought he was maybe a little too patient yeah. on that run, a red zone run, which he probably could have got close to the first down on. So then it's like, I can't, I can't really justify Collins playing when he hasn't played in two straight games now, because he hasn't really played with the real Oklahoma state offense in these past two games with one quarterback, Jake Springfield back on the offensive line. So we'll see as the season goes, you know, if somebody gets banged up, obviously Collins will probably play some. We don't want that to happen, but I, I do think that's why the one, two yeah. punch right now is Gordon and Nixon. And I get it. Cause I'm sure Nixon will have a 70 yard touchdown again at some point this season. Right. Right. I absolutely agree with you. Again, I, I said this in the offseason. I think you may need to get more creative with him. But additionally, 
I, I don't know why I keep coming back to what they were trying to do with Sean Tyler, the Western Michigan transfer who ended up going to Minnesota. But Sean Tyler and Jaden Nixon are a lot more alike than Jaden Nixon and Elijah Collins. So I think your points are well taken and they're correct. I, I think that they need a dynamic athlete at that second spot. Really, you could crease the defense and run for so much more yards if he's able to see those cutback lanes. I mean, you would have, I, I can think of two off the top of my head, chunk plays that you don't have to show for uh, if you're Jaden Nixon. So I, I hope he figures it out. He is still young and it's good for you to give him, you know, give me that context, but I just, it's gotta, it's gotta turn on for him at some point. Yeah. Let's move on now on Bowman and we can kind of talk about the receivers and tight ends. Like we normally do a little bit included in there. 19 of 35, 235 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Oklahoma State attempted 36 passes because Brendan Presley threw one to Allen Bowman. But kid, I wanted to start off the Allen Bowman discussion. Casey Dunn said after the game that Bowman took every snap in practice. So not 60%, Good. like Gundy said. Good. He so, should. I, and it showed. I think I believe Casey Dunn here over Coach Gundy because we've seen what Michael say sometimes in the media, which Again, I'll continue to reiterate, I'm completely fine with him trolling the media. I don't really care. But if Casey Dunn says something different, I'm going to believe him. Along with that, again, not, this stuff is not what happened in the game, these first two notes. The Bob Finnemore jersey to do media and knowing it was Bob Finnemore's birthday are just awesome from Alan Bowman. He's, he's literally done... In the media availability, I can't believe Gundy didn't let him have the media avail- availability right off the bat. I get it while yeah, they're in now the QB rotation, sense. yeah. But he's awesome. He's basically a pro. Like I've said this for a while that he, the way he operates reminds me of an NFL quarterback. His discretion in throwing the ball away, he's very quick to ground it. I just I love the way he carries himself, and I think it's cool that he probably went and dug for that Bob Finnemore jersey. They wore those last year during the walk. He wasn't on the team, so I think it's pretty cool that he's like, yeah. I need one of those, and uh, ends up rocking it in media availability. I just, you know, getting to the way he played on the field, I thought that he was too, you can't really call them drops, but they were pretty close to drops. I thought he was two plays away from, you know, having one of the better games that we can remember throwing the ball exclusively in a long time at quarterback for Oklahoma State. The downfield pass to Brennan Presley and Rashad Owens, who is going to score if he just secures that ball. He needs his wide receivers to make an off-schedule play, and nobody's really done that all season. So I, I feel like it's a good thing that he got 100% of the snaps in practice. I was a little bit miffed at the idea that he would not have but I mean, the the leap from Iowa State to Kansas State is significant. Just getting assimilated into the system. I never felt like he was unsure of what to do. Not one time in that game. Yeah, and like I mentioned, and like we talked about earlier in the podcast with the scheme, you know, that snag concept. So it's in air raid, they'll call that eight or Y corner. It's got the corner route. So the receiver's going out and he's going to the sideline in kind of a opposite of a post. Then it's got that spot or snag route, which kind of like a lazy slant, weird looking hitch. And then you got the flat route, yep. which Presley was running. So they ran that where Josiah Johnson ran the snag. 
They ran it where Owens ran the snag. That's an air raid concept. That's a quick triangle stress on the defense. It's got the deeper route, one in the flat, and then one kind of in that hook curl area. And especially against zone coverage, which Kansas State runs a little bit of man, a little bit of zone, it's almost impossible to defend with zone coverage because the cornerback has to make a decision if he's going to take the flat, if he's going to drop back with the corner. And then if the linebacker runs out to the flat, then that snag route's open. Yeah. So they completed that, I think, four, maybe five times. A couple to Josiah. They threw that uh, flat. He threw the flat route to Brennan. Then they had Mesh, which we've talked about with the two crossers over the middle. Another air raid concept. Double slants, where the two wide receivers to that side run slant routes, just one kind of shorter inside of the other one. It was just that that's Texas Tech air raid offense that Alan Bowman's comfortable with. Kid, I wanted to run this stat by you that I grabbed off of PFF. His time to throw was 2.37 seconds. It was 3.1 seconds in the Iowa State game. His career average is 2.35, much closer to that 2.37. And in 2020 at Texas Tech, he was even throwing it 2.14 seconds. So this was... This is the offense catered to your quarterback while still incorporating the strengths of your receivers, your offensive line and running back. And I, I just think this if you're running this offense, I know you're putting more on film, so maybe you don't win the Kansas State game, but I think at worst you're four and one look, looking at this instead of three and two. So you're going to get a whole extra win and maybe, maybe you can still pull the Kansas State game off. And I hate to keep going back to that. But this is not this is not the Garrett Rangel offense. This would have been a complete change from the offense he ran last year. Gunnar Gundy, I, I mean, I don't really think he should even be in the conversation. But I, I just think this this is Alan Bowman's offense. This is what he feels comfortable doing. And you could see we talked about it. Not only did completing some of these passes early, having that great first drive, help the running game and the passing game kind of open up the RPOs open up. But I think it helped him. You know. Coach Gunny used to talk about we like to get Spencer Sanders' legs going early in the game, get him running the football because that calms him down and makes him comfortable throwing. Well, for Alan Bowman, I think it's completing this short, quick passing game calms him down and gets him going to where he's able to. There were a couple of passes. There was a mesh throw to Owens where he not only stayed in the pocket getting pressure, but he sidestepped a defender to give himself a better launch angle to make the throw we didn't see that from all at all from him. I don't think earlier in the season. So all of that to say, I know that was a long ramble, but I just love how they kind of tailored this passing game to Alan Bowman's strengths. Now they still got to work on the deep game. They had the drops. Yeah. They didn't take that many shots, but I did love how they attacked Kansas state. Yeah. And I come back to the deep pass thing is like, we for so long clamored for somebody to use the middle part of the field, like literally 10 to 15, 18, 21 yards down the field without having to run a go. And and this is what Alan Bowman excels at. And to your point, I feel like this is Mike Gundy's like perfect. Like if he could build a quarterback in a lab, it, it would be somebody resembling Alan Bowman who resembles a guy like Mason Rudolph, who resembles a Brandon Whedon. Like this is Saturday, Friday night looked like old school Oklahoma state football just to the eye. And I know the scheme is somewhat different, but I think the 
the fundamentals are there where you can throw the ball, keep the defense honest and hit them with the run. I just, they're finally getting to that balanced approach. And it is really in large part to the way that Alan Bowman played on Friday night. I mean, he also deserves some credit for some of the third down throws he made. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I felt like the way they converted on third and medium to third and long, I keep saying this, was as good as they've done in years throwing the ball. I mean, the throw he made on that first drive to convert third and long to Brennan Presley on the out, Spencer Sanders might not throw that ball. You know what I mean? Like Alan Bowman trusts his arm and he threw that and put it right on the money. So to me, I just come back to he can keep it going against a Kansas secondary and a Kansas defense that is not Kansas state and that will struggle. And I think that you can out athlete a team like that. So, you know, to me, Dustin, I just, I feel like similarly to Ollie Gordon, this being his come out game, like that felt like the game where Alan Bowman proved why he was out there in the first place to me. Yeah. And, that, that's the thing you mentioned the drops earlier talking about this being kind of Alan Bowman's coming, coming out game. EFF actually does a pretty good job here. I was talking about their offensive line grading earlier. They're normally pretty conservative in terms of receivers dropping the ball. They won't just mark something as a drop. If a defender maybe right. was there, they had four drops for Oklahoma state's receivers. And I actually only counted three. Cause I didn't count the Brennan Presley deep ball. He could yeah, have I wouldn't caught say it. It's a drop. He could have caught it, but that was a good play by Siegel, who Oklahoma State, they targeted him early, which I thought they were going to do until Will Lee went down and they realized Jacob Parrish, who I didn't know Jacob Parrish, Kansas State's cornerback, wasn't going to play. And I think that was a little bit before the game. They they said he wasn't able to go. So I think Siegel was the game plan, and then they realized that Parrish wasn't out there, and then Will Lee went down after he hit Josiah Johnson. And I think that that's why they kind of started targeting those guys a little bit more. But back to Bowman, if you if you just add the three back in there, so Josiah Johnson dropped it before he got hit by Will Lee. So I'm going to count that as a drop. I think you got to count Owens, even though he was being held because he had position. I could be a little iffy on that one, but obviously the Bray one is a drop. So at least two. But if you add three of those back, so not even all four, He's at 65% completion percentage. And if the Owens one gets caught, he's probably scoring. So then you're looking at closer to 300 yards, 65% completion and a touchdown. And I know these are what ifs, but all that to say that's two or three drops away from a 300 yard game with a touchdown and over 65% completion percentage. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, he's literally a couple of throws away from that. And just talking about his incompletions in general, the throw on the reverse flea flicker, I thought that one was not a good throw, but he had to get rid of that ball. You can't, he's not going to scramble off that. He would have gotten sacked for like a 10 yard loss. There was a mesh throw early to Brennan Presley that I honestly thought on the first rewatch that it got tipped. He threw it at like Brennan Presley's feet. I don't know what was going on there. It looked, there was a, Live, I thought. Yeah, what he was, was your take on that one? Live, I thought he was like grounding the ball. Like I thought he was like this play's dead, but it shouldn't have been. I think Presley was even confused. Like what happened? Yeah, that was just maybe a bad throw. I'm not saying 
Alan Bowman's Tom Brady or anything. There's a zone <laughs> glance RPO throw to Brennan Presley where he throws it high, but if he does not throw that, he made the right read, but Savage is such a freak athlete for Kansas State. He jumps up. I had to be a 40-inch vertical. If he throws that ball any lower, it's getting picked. And if Brennan Presley's two inches taller, he's catching that pass. Yeah. So that's another one where it's like, man, maybe that one gets caught. He had a couple of fade balls to Bray that weren't great. I think that's just, they just got to work on that. He's got to give Bray, a ch- if he gives Bray a chance in the back of the end zone, Bray's going to come down with yep. the ball. That's what he does, contested catch. One slant to Bray, one slant to Owens that were off. And then there was a throwaway. But other than that, it was three, maybe four drops. And there's your, what? I think it was 16 incompletions. That's how you get to him right there. When you read them off like that, it doesn't really sound that bad. Because I, I know that you see the stats, you're like, man, two games in a row where he can't get to 60% completion percentage. But I don't know if all that was on Bowman. I'm not trying, trying to say he's an all big 12 caliber guy, but I think this is a good enough quarterback with the weapons you have and with how the defense is starting to mesh and gel together to win you several more football games. And I think the PFF grading on this is reflective of the way, at least like sometimes I think the analytics tell you the wrong story. It's similar to how it works in a business sense. I felt like to my eyes that Alan Bowman was the best offensive player outside of Ollie Gordon to my own eyes live. And I understand the incompletions, but he never really put the ball in harm's way. He was efficient for the most part. And I, I think it's reflected in the way PFF graded him out His QBR is 68 and a half PFF grades him at an 80. I lean much closer to the 80 than I do that 68. So I just, I, I thought he was good, man. I really did. And I thought, I thought his receivers for the fourth game this season made his contributions look less. Yeah. And it, it was, it's just, you're looking at his game overall. Like you said, I, I think he was probably one of the, better offensive players in the game as well. And you mentioned not throwing the ball in harm's way. I had him at zero turnover worthy plays. So does PFF. Yep. And I hate bringing Spencer Sanders into it. Cause I'm not trying to bash Spencer Sanders, but he's the only quarterback we really have to compare because he would, and he was here for so long. You can't really go back to Cornelius. How many games did Spencer Sanders go through where he had zero turnover worthy plays? I would say zero. And that's why I said what I said about him having the cleanest half of football in a long time, because I don't think Spencer Sanders ever got through a game where it was like, oh, that was like not a good, not a good decision. I mean, Alan Bowman did not do that on Friday. Now he does throw it away a little early, maybe too early. Still. Yeah. I, I still think there were several times, you know, I had a buddy message me after one throw away and said, Alan Bowman's first read is out of bounds, which made me <laughs> laugh. And that it is does funny. look like that sometimes. So Shout out to my buddy Craig for that joke. But, you know, I, I just, Kate, overall, I know back to to kind of end the Allen Bowen move on to the receivers, if you're okay with that. Yep. Scheme-wise, 36% play action. And I, I think I tracked it closer to like 40% having some type of RPO action or play action on there. If you get the running game going and you can get your play action and RPO game working with a quarterback like our, an Allen Bowman as your quarterback – you can win some football games and you can go over 400 yards of total offense for two games in a row. Hey, 
Receiver wise, let's start with the guy who led the team in catches, Rashad Owens. If he catches that deep ball and scores, puts him over 100 yards and a touchdown, I was going to come in here and basically say, I told you so from that practice <laughs> I was at. I told you guys he was an MVP caliber guy. It sucks that he didn't catch that. But I thought overall, you know, he had that drop. He got his body in front of the defensive back there and gave himself a chance to catch yep. it. He's not as good a route runner as a strib or as a Bray, but I think he's much better than a Bryson Green or a Braden Johnson. I'm honestly, this game made me, and I know he had to play Cowboy back last year, but it's almost to the point where, man, why was this not your Z last year over Braden Johnson? And I know it's just one game, in one practice that I was at, but he's a great blocker. I, I clipped one block he had using the Denzel Washington gif there of him just exploding somebody on that split zone RPO. He had great blocks in the running game, cracking back on safeties and linebackers. He ran the tunnel screen well. His pit, kid, this is a weird critique. His pitch back to Bowman on the reverse flea flicker was sick. It was like a no look opposite hand pitch back to Bowman. So that's the kind of stuff that I notice. I just thought overall he played a great game. I didn't think it was – I'm not saying, again, he's a a world beater that you can run your offense around, and I know he's playing that Z position where he's going to get targets, but I don't think it's as big a drop-off from Stribling as I initially thought it might be heading into the game. I would agree with you, and I think he's firmly the guy right there. Like, I was wondering what they were going to end up doing, and Stribling's out for the year, so you need to stay healthy here. Because it's really Owens and Shetron, who's not not had a great year so far in, in multiple areas. And so for Owens to come in and really get his first run at a bunch of snaps at receiver, I can't believe he was ever a cowboy back, if I'm being totally honest with you. Like I I, I feel like it put him in a bad spot to put him there. Like it makes sense on on paper, like, yeah, you could have somebody really dynamic there, but they never did anything with the cowboy back. And now he's back at the Z. It's like, oh, he's got some Tracy Moore to him and he's a downfield threat. And I I can't believe he was ever a cowboy back and not playing meaningful snaps at receiver. So to your point, I totally agree with you. Hey, if So he had the best catch percentage on the team because he caught five of seven targets for 75 yards if he catches i know i know i've said if he catches that deep ball like seven times on this podcast <laughs> already if he catches that deep ball he's six of seven and catch for 120 yeah so it's it it's not i know he had the drop but that's one of the better catch percentages we've seen this season not having a john paul richardson anymore who used to be close to 100 percent on a majority of the games but that I, I thought that was incredible. I think he gets separation really well. Casey Dunn has talked about how intelligent he is. He's able to play the X. He's played slot. He's played cowboy back, which we mentioned. He played the Z in this game. And when you listen to Owens talk, he's talking about where linebackers are lined up, where safeties are lined up. This may be one of the smartest X's and O guys. Like this is a former or a future coach you've got at wide receiver. And when you watch this game, it's like, man. We talked about guys running routes against zone coverage. He knows where to get open against zone coverage. He may be your best zone coverage route running wide receiver. That's a mouthful that you have on this team. So I, I don't want to give him too much of his flowers after one game. And I'm sure our listeners knew I was going to come on here and get hyped up 
because it's a guy that I love, but I, I thought he was great. I thought he was, I, I, I love, I'm excited to see him going forward. I also think he deserves some credit for his on field like presence. He's got some Ollie Gordon to him as well. He's always the hype man, uh, even defensively. I don't know if you saw the highlight that OSU Max put out of Cameron Epps uh, pick six, but it was Ollie and Rashad Owens leading the charge on the sideline, which you love seeing. I just, I feel like he was a difference maker in this game. And I think he can be down the line. Jaden Bray can, you know, screw his head on in a way. I, I feel like Rashad Owens could have five catches a game. Like he's he's gonna get targets. Yeah. And Kate, honestly, you you might have pushed this again perfectly into another transition, which you're so great at. Jaden Bray. The first world after the game, Coach Dunn is asked about his run after the catch, which was awesome. That move he put. Dropped two K-State defenders on that glance RPO. I believe it was that. I also love that about the RPOs, K. They weren't all just zone RPO runs. They were using the gap scheme in yep. there, which is awesome. That They haven't really done that this year. Such a good look. Ever, I think, in Casey Dunn's offense. Did some GT counter stuff last year with it. But that's beside the point. The first thing Coach Dunn says is, yeah, but he had to drop. And we've talked. we talked about how we heard – from Extreme Camp, how hard Casey Dunn is on Jaden Bray because he knows he hasn't been playing football for very long and he needs him to not only understand the physical parts of the game, but mindset. Don't start looking downfield too early. Make the catch. When do you run the hitch versus the go when it's an option route, which we've seen him have some issues with. And I... It, it felt like the way Dunn was answering the questions that he almost thinks of, I'm sure he does with all the guys, but thinks of him as his son, like a guy that he's truly trying to develop. And I've got every time I see a Jaden Bray drop or there's an option route, I try to think about that in my head that he hasn't been playing football for that long. We're asking him to be a focal point of this offense. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I, But when you see the run after the catch, when you see him catch, get separation on that hitch, even when the cornerback was lined up, pressed on him before yep. the throw, he's able to get separation, turn around, make a nice turnaround and get the first down. I think he did that twice. And then he also had the big run. There's so the potential and the ceiling is there. And I know people can see it. He's got to stop the drops though. I mean, that drop, that was going to be another first down if he catches that. I mean, he, he it's a little bit like, in golf. I mean, he's got the yips and, and one more drop. I mean, I already pounded the, the red button, like this is a thing, but I, I one more and I'm concerned for him, like his ability to not be thinking about that every time the ball comes his way. Cause I, I can't remember the last Oklahoma state receiver that's consistently had an issue like this. I mean, even Tylen Wallace had a drop here and there. Justin Blackman had a drop here and there, but it was not, you know, once a game type of deal. And these are, these are critical plays where you're, if you're throwing on first and 10, third and eight, you, your receivers have got to catch the football. I mean, they, these are plays where you're, you're trying to set yourself up. So uh, I will give him that, but additionally he is dynamic with the ball in his hands down the field. I mean, as you said, the movie put on those two K state defenders was nasty I had Justin Blackman vibes down the field in, in, in that specific play. 
and like a Brennan Presley, like like Justin Blackman, Brennan Presley, like that kind of dynamic yep. after the catchability. Yeah, I mean, elite with the ball in his hands, but he's got to have the ball in his hands. And I don't know if you noticed the way he caught, like right after the drop, they went right back to him. And the way he caught this one <laughs> was like if you were r- drawing a textbook diagram of how to catch a football it would have been the way he caught it. Like he had his hands stuck out so far that there was no way he was making a move with the ball. And it was just, it was comical because it was like, he was only catching that ball. It reminded me of like one of those fair games or, you know, field day (laughs) games at school with the egg where you're throwing it and you just watch it all the way in so gently. I was cracking up because I could even see that from my seat in the stadium that he was catching it like that. So it's a it's a good point by you. If he can clean those up, though, like, hey, even with a Rashad Owens out there at Z and not a stribbling, which the stribbling loss, I think we're understating. Deal. This is a guy who you can build an offense around. And, and I'm glad he'll be back next year. But even with Owens and Bray, I still like this better than a Braden Johnson and Bryson Green outside receiver duo there's still a lot of potential there just please catch the football and not so much owens that was tough i had to count it as a drop because he basically had it in his hands and tipped it to himself and then tipped it away the bray one is more egregious but if if these drops are cleaned up you're talking about another touchdown you're talking about just even the personal statistic accolades over 300 oh. yards, over a hundred yards receiving so, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. They got, they got to clean that up uh, outside of that. Brennan Presley second most targets. And then he also got the two carries. I think they did a much better job of trying to get him the football, the motion that they were doing with him. I put a clip up of that orbit return motion. K state was paying so much attention to him that it was completely moving their secondary and their safeties around which opened some things up. They would motion Presley run one way and then run a play action pass to the other way. And it just opened so many things. They went to that split zone RPO multiple times, but I thought Presley did a good job of getting open. Wish he would have caught that deep ball. I thought he ran well after the catch. Good I thought in the reverse, he ran well. He had a nice little move to get a couple extra yards out in the open field. And then he gives good effort blocking. He's not the best blocker. He's not big. I think he's actually smaller than what he's listed at after seeing him standing next to Ollie Gordon recently. But I, I loved what I saw from Presley. I still think they could get him the ball even more, but I, I did like the effort to try to get him the football. Yeah. I second in targets is is good enough for me, right? Like I we can't have, you know, two catches for 12 yards as Brennan Presley's stat line. And we didn't this weekend, but we had that for several in a row the concerted effort is is great and i do think that you know unfortunately dejon stribling's absence puts even more of a focus on brennan presley and how oklahoma state can use him because there's one less dynamic game-breaking playmaker out there for the defense to have to worry about so you have to maximize what you do have i think presley and again i love the way they're trying to get him the ball in the backfield it's it's uh innovative i think I think the dam's going to break for him soon, but we'll just we'll just have to see. Yeah, uh, the other guys, Blaine Green had the nice uh, run after the catch on the screen. He still does some good things blocking. Shetron had limited snaps. The Z. I know people are upset. I think about 
you know, he was such a highly talented recruit. I still think he's going to be really good. I just think if the option is him or Owens right now, I would go with Owens, who's the more experienced guy. I was fine with Shetron rotating in for Stribling when he didn't have to be the guy. But I think Shetron's still probably a year away. So I, I'm, I don't know how you felt about it, but that was kind of my take. Yeah, I, I think Shetron has, has probably, he's in that second tier of receivers that I'm, you know, thinking about when I think about this Oklahoma State team. He's on the death chart, but he's just not done a whole lot this season to, to make me um, fired up. Yeah. And then okay, talking talking about the tight ends and fullbacks, the script had three tight end targets on it. This this opening script felt like it was for the fan base. Oh, it truly you felt me. like it was it was a it was a script for the fans. But Josiah Johnson's game was a little all over the place. Yeah. So he looks pretty good route running, especially kind of running with Bowman on that split zone RPO, some of that play action stuff. Has a couple catches at the beginning. He's not, I mean, doesn't do a ton after the catch, but he got that first down, which I thought was nice. Had a great on one very, called back. Like, I thought that was his best play of the night, got called back. Yeah, but for his own face mask. So, and then he has he has the drop where he gets hit by Will Lee, and I know he was banged up. He's the reason the field goal got blocked, or part of the reason. He doesn't even touch that guy. And then you go back and look on the future field goals, and he's getting his shoulder in there to check that guy who blocked the field goal. He just didn't move at all on that one that got blocked. He's he got a couple too, of really good way. blocks, and then he's got a couple of whiffs. So I thought he was all over the place. I'd probably, if I had to grade him, I'd probably give him like a C plus, B minus, probably more towards a B minus. But he just, he's still kind of been like up and down all season. But I like it more than Cassidy every snap or having to use Blaine Green or Rashad Owens at that tight end cowboy back position, because I think he's a better blocker and understands it more than a green or an Owens. And he's way more dynamic, I think as a pass catcher than a Cassidy or Schultz. So I still love that they're using Johnson. I like that they're targeting him. I like that he's shown he has good hands, just still a little up and down. It's really kind of been the story of his season so far. I do think he's assimilating to a, much more physical style of football. I mean, I don't know the way they coach the contain on field goal, but I don't know if I've ever seen the stick your arms out and not move work very well. He did it once and then he did it again. And that field goal almost got blocked. So if they see that on tape, I, and I, I hope they do. I, I would immediately say, okay, you, you can't do that anymore. No, no more of that. Cause I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's proper. Maybe Adam Lunt can call in and, and educate me on that, but that seems like something that everybody's going to key on now that you've shown that that's the way you're going to contain the edge on field goal block. I do think he's a better receiver than you've got elsewhere at tight end. And I think that's why he can stay on the field. Um, but I, I don't know why he's the guy on the edge and not a better blocker. I don't know if is Cassidy in the field goal protect unit on the other side, because I would just put him there. I think it might be Stewart on the other side. I actually was looking at that, but I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah. I, but it's I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I agree with what you're saying. And speaking of Stewart and those other guys, you know, not a ton of snaps from Stewart. Cassidy and Schultz. I, 
one thing that Johnson is better at is I think he looks better and I'm not saying he looks great, but I think he looks better as the puller on the GH or GY or H counter, whatever you want to call it. I know Johnson was banged up and I think that's why Cassidy and Schultz got more snaps, but man, you know, there's a couple of runs where cast Cassidy gives great effort. And I think he's a good player, but you got to think these are both walk on guys that are really just blocking fullbacks. I, I kind of liked in the Iowa State game how it was pretty much only Johnson out there. And I think I wrote in our Twitter thread that was the least snaps from the fullback position. If Johnson's not banged up, I would just prefer to keep him out there for a majority of the snaps and give him a totally breather agree. every now and then because Casty and Schultz are, are probably better blockers. I, I think they are. I just don't know if they're better enough to take off Johnson, who at least gives you that more dynamic ability as a pass catcher, keeps the defense guessing, especially now that he's been targeted. What I think he had five tar yeah, five yeah. targets in that game. Yeah. And the other guys just don't really do it. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you. I think he got lit up a couple of times. And if he's not screaming across the play at that, you know, pulling H back, he's he's gonna struggle in pass protection. I think he's better than you, you know, have elsewhere potentially. But I mean, I, I am concerned about his ability to stay healthy. I really am. I, I thought that he looked pretty banged up at times. And I actually feel like, and I should have said this earlier, I do feel like the the field goal protect thing has something to do with that. Like he several times was kind of peeling himself off the turf. So hopefully he's Yeah. Good. And if he doesn't get absolutely destroyed by Desmond Purnell on one of those rollout split zone play actions, <laughs> yeah, he was gonna be wide open. Yes. And that was a red zone play and he yes. dropped he may have scored yeah. because Purnell was supposed to go with him. That's why Purnell takes him out. And Purnell was going the complete opposite way. He just made a good play to take him out, which honestly, I know they were behind the line of scrimmage, but man, that just feels illegal. The fact he that he can be just, just lay just him out that like that up. when he's yeah. going out for a route. Yeah. But all that to say, it, I mean, that could have been Josiah, you know, if Josiah Johnson catches that, either gets the first down or scores, then you get another touchdown red zone opportunity. We're probably singing a different tune. We probably forget about those other plays. hundred percent. All right, Cade, I think that's it on the offense. I know again, we went long, but man, it was to. so much. That took me way longer than any game I've watched recently to rewatch. It was so much fun. Well, thank you for your service. And thank you for your service on doing it on a short week as well as we're recording this one day early. There was a lot going on offensively. I The way you charted that was impressive because it was, it was different than we've seen this year. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, quick ad break and then we'll yep. move on to the defense. That's right. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. 
To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you, and go Pokes. Okay, Dustin, as excited as I was to talk to you about the offense, I'm as excited to talk about the Oklahoma State defense in what was Brian Nardo's potential coming out party. Dustin, I thought the defense, by and large, outside of a couple of giveaway touchdowns late in the game, was awesome. Awesome is the word I would use. Yeah, Kate, I, I, when you go look at the stats and you add back in, you probably, for them, you know, we add back in the Neals. I would probably add back in that negative 19-yard fumble. Oh, them. yeah. So in the sack. So, you know, they're they're looking at a pretty good rushing yard per carry when you kind of add all that in, you know, like I think it's showing 5.8. So it goes up above that. But where I think the big, the big triumph is, is you're looking at Will Howard four straight 250 plus yard rushing or passing games. That's the most in Kansas state history. He throws for 152 with three picks on 44% completion percentage and Kate at the beginning of that game you could tell they had seen Oklahoma State how Oklahoma State was defending tight ends and slot receivers earlier in the season and that was his first read and it wasn't there and he either had to eat it and run or throw it hold it and get sacked or throw it to you and you can go back I I grabbed multiple plays I didn't want to put all these in the Twitter thread because it they would have I would have had to kind of you know do a lot of the diagramming and stuff and I was a, a little bit running out of time. Not that I don't I love doing it, just running a little bit out of time. But there was there was one early where Colin Oliver runs with Senate and you could tell Will Howard did not he he for sure thought the safety who was eight yards, nine yards off the line of scrimmage was going to pick up Senate and he was going to have that open throw to the flat. There's another one where Brooks ran a quick out and Benson ran with him at that overhang spot, which we haven't seen Benson in coverage a lot, which is something I brought up to you because that's what he did really well at Texas Tech as a freshman. Yep. And we saw Mason use him in coverage last year. Not that he always looked amazing, but he hasn't he hadn't even gotten an opportunity. And they went back to that three high safety base kind of lighter boxes, but they use some bigger defensive ends, more Anthony Goodlow, less Nathan Latou. And because Nick Martin is such a freak and explosive player at that middle linebacker spot, and because Trey Rucker and Kendall Daniels are taking better angles in their run fits and able to tackle better this game, you saw the base defense with that one kind of one or two tweaks on how they defended slot players and tight ends work out perfectly. You didn't have to make all these adjustments we saw in Nardo's game plans each week trying to get, and and I hate to say it, I'm not, I love Brian Nardo. I think he's been awesome, but trying to get a little too cute on the defensive end when really it's almost the opposite of, of the critiques of Casey Dunn. People want him to get more innovative. Yep. And for Brian Nardo, I think you and I were calling for just go back to the base. Cover and, the slot. <laughs> Yeah, and I I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but they did some great 
disguising and mixing things up in coverage, which I'm talking about with Benson and Oliver, and even some things on the back end with how the safeties handled things. We saw that work out on the first Cameron X pick. But overall, I thought it was mainly the base defenses with a few disguises and coverage. I mean, I love the way in the Twitter thread you broke down, like specifically highlighting the overhang linebacker because it is an, a good adjustment. It's, I, I don't know how many times I've sat in Boone Pickens Stadium this year or watched a game and just thought, boy, there's nobody between, <laughs> uh, you know, Jalen Knoll or Phillip Brooks or whoever's the slot and Trey Rucker or like there's just so much distance that you have to cover as that safety if you don't have a linebacker that can just, you know, chip a little bit not, within the rules. And I just felt like it was a great adjustment. And I thought you laid it out perfectly. And additionally, not to get to the safeties too early, but the loss of Lyric Rawls, I thought was going to be a much bigger deal than it ended up being. And unfortunate or fortunately, I think you have a, a dynamic, maybe a more dynamic athlete playing that position now in Cameron Epps. So in a way, that's a bit of an adjustment too. And playing on turf helps where you're not slipping and sliding around like crazy. But I, I just felt like that overhang linebacker, at least was to me like the most important thing to see was that they were willing to do something different to help out on the slot. Yeah. And the other thing that helps out and Chris coach Kleiman said this after the game, our wide receivers couldn't get open against man coverage. That was the big thing I called out in the preview. Are you and I called yep. out the loss of Malik Knowles and Cade Warner at the receiver spots for this Kansas state offense has led to, I was talking about it uh, on the Pistols firing chamber with some guys today. It's led to the regression of Will Howard back to this guy who's throwing it into coverage, yep. getting uncomfortable. And I think you, you obviously can't, I mean, you got to put the blame on Will Howard as well because he's making the throws, but these other guys cannot get open. It, yeah. Corey I mean Black, DJ McKinney and Cam Smith, Held Philip Brooks and Keegan Johnson to, or sorry, not Philip Brooks. He was in the slot. Keegan Johnson and Jaden Jackson to three catches for 33 yards on the day. And Howard only targeted them five times. And if you throw RJ Garcia in there, who plays a little slot and outside, he had one catch for two yards and he had one target as well. The outside receivers were shut down completely. Howard had to target Senate. He targeted Senate. 10 times and then DJ Giddens the running back seven times because these outside receivers were not open aside from and I, we can just go ahead and talk about the defensive backs Kate since we're talking about them already aside from the one bust where Senate got behind Corey Black but Will Howard had to overthrow it because he was getting pressured anyway Corey Black shut the Kansas State receiving core down and then aside from DJ McKinney late in the game getting a little too loose in coverage and then missing a tackle that side of the field was shut down on the outside as well. It's these Oklahoma state cornerbacks. I feel like they're not getting enough credit from the media and I'm not, not trashing the media the, here. The news media, come on. The ball's never thrown their way. And when it is, they're absolutely dominating. I mean, Corey black had what at least I think I counted. Okay. So I have it four, four targets at him. Three of them, the coverage was 
absolutely beautiful. And then one of them was the Senate one. Jaden Jackson caught one like one yard past the line of scrimmage on a cross, a shallow cross. Corey Black tackled him instantly. And he was the, he almost knocked the ball loose before he could catch it. It's it's just a show these cornerbacks are putting on. And, and I've loved every second of it. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think it exemplifies why the adjustment on the slot receiver was so critical. Because if that's something you can consistently do and take away what was the the blueprint to beat Oklahoma State's defense was get your slot guy in space. If you've taken that away, it's one game. We're not going to say it's fixed. I'm not, at least. Now you're starting to talk about a defense that, by and large, has its act together. And the corners, I think, have led the charge all season. They've been awesome for, for most of the season. DJ McKinney, a true sophomore out there. I, I I had to pause this and rewind to make sure I was seeing it correctly. In coverage on Will Howard's first interception was DJ McKinney and Cam Epps. And it's like, that is some youth back there in the secondary. Oh, yeah. And they had it blanketed. So to your point, that they're doing their job. And K-State does a lot where they will have like, 12 personnel they'll have two receivers to the field and then a tight end to the field and then a tight end to the boundary that's just kind of by himself like a nub tight end you've probably heard me say that if that nub tight end was not senate then oklahoma state was taking the cornerback on the boundary and bringing him over and putting him on the slot receiver to the field which was another great way to defend the slot we saw Corey black do that and just shut down that receiver because then you've got one of your best cover guys in man coverage on the slot and then the backside safety and the weak side linebacker in Colin Oliver can take care of the tight end to that side. And that should be able to cover him because it's not a guy like Ben Sinnott. It was either a Swanson or an Oakley. So I just thought, I thought the, th- the simple small adjustments that Brian Nardo made in this game and then just coaching the guys up to be in the right spot, taking better angles, making sure to wrap up when you tackle, which it's funny. They actually missed more tackles in this game than they did in Iowa State. Oh, it didn't but feel like it. I, I didn't feel like it. No, not for sure. It didn't feel like it. So I, I loved all of that. And just continuing on the defensive backs, Cam Epps, we talked about this earlier. So our text message convo on Friday, <laughs> I texted you at 9.38 a.m. So that's that's where my brain was at on a Friday. <laughs> I said, Epps is going to be special. He just needs live reps. And then we talked a little bit about some other stuff. And then you texted me at 5.14 p.m., so shortly before the game, that I think Epps shows up big tonight, maybe gets a pick. He was right there for one in Ames. Cade, we, I don't, I don't want to give us our flowers, but I think we willed this Cam Epps game into existence. You know, sometimes I wish we recorded another episode on a Friday so I could get my uh, optimistic. Yeah, just where I'm like, okay. I mean, because on a Friday, I, I'm, I'm ready to win a football game. I'm in the mindset that Oklahoma State can win. I've never entered a game thinking they've got no shot. Even this one. I thought on Tuesday, this is a tough matchup. They're not going to win. And by Friday, I'm like, well, I could see it. And I wish we had that bonus episode for, for our listeners. But Back to our conversation, we very well may have willed it into existence, but I thought that Cam Epps in Ames, there was a play 
where and I mentioned this on the podcast where the ball kind of just landed like right in front of him. And it, I think he kind of got caught off guard by it. But had he looked up, it was it was a pick six like he's in the right spot. And Dustin, it was the exact same read and react that he made on the pick six this week. So I don't know what that is, but I think he's so athletic and he's got those corner skills that I, I think with more live reps, and this week is going to be a big test for him. I think with m- more live reps, he's going to end up, I mean, totally disregarding the Ames talk. And I think by the end of this year, we may be talking about like a future, you know, the way we talked about Kendall Daniels after his freshman season. Like I I was to that point on, on Friday. Yeah, this is a guy who's 6'3", 208 pounds. As all well. the tools, all Moving the physical like tools, that. the athleticism, it's all there. So he's Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. A couple of things I wanted to mention about him, which is awesome. I think it, that's the first Big 12 of the week accolade that an Oklahoma State player's got this year. It's Cam Epps. If you told me that after the Iowa State game, I would have been like, oh, what, next year? This is the next <laughs> game. So Yeah, do you block a punt? Would- yeah, right. This is a guy, when we had Adam Lund on before the season, we talked about future stars on this team. All three of us brought this guy up. So it's not it's not like a, this is a guy we didn't think was going to be good. Just like my text message to you, he just needs lives, live reps. He's going to make mistakes. He just needs live reps. Nardo seemed emotional talking about Epps after the game. I absolutely loved how much it seemed like he cared about this guy. Coach Duffy told Nardo that the first person – on the defense to come up to watch film after the Iowa State game was none other than Cameron Apps. Mm. That's just, it's just dedication. Apparently, in, over the past two weeks, he's had seven interceptions in practice. Who's three throwing in one him. day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not our guy Al. No, I but think he, it's Gunner on that out route, man. I think that Cam Epps is picking on it. <laughs> so Kansas State targeted him seven times, and we thought that that would happen. When, when we said it, if Rawls and Rucker don't play and Epps has to go out there, he's probably going to get targeted. Only two receptions on those seven targets. And he's talking about that play, the, the pick six. You know, Brooks ran an out and up, and Howard threw an out. So yep. Epps was just like, oh, well, I'm just going to pick that off. He said after the game, can't believe he threw that. But it, it's just, <laughs> you know, there was another play, Cade. I couldn't either. It was third and eight in the first quarter. He's about 12 yards off the ball aligned to that side. He creeps up right before the snap to the first down marker. Such a smart thing to do. Now he knows where it's at. And then he runs with Brooks who ran like a slot fade. He's still far enough off the ball to where he can get a good running start against a fast guy like Brooks turns his hips, very fluid moving, which his movements are so fluid all over the field. And Howard, Howard, took that shot. And I'm sure that was a play in practice. They were like, we're going to hit on this ball to Brooks on the slot fade over up. So not only did he find the marker knew where it was to where he could stop Brooks from getting the first down, but he gave himself enough room, recognize what was happening to be able to turn and run with Brooks and Howard didn't really throw it that close. But even if he did, Epps would have been there. And if, you know, he's starting to turn his head around, if he throws out on target, he may have picked that off as well. So just the little things that he was able to do. And he still had some times where I thought he could have maybe taken a better angle in the run game. He still was a little too loose in coverage on those two receptions, but again, targeted seven times. 
this is such a good building point for Cam Epps. He's going to have busts this year. You, you just got he he's going to bust at times this year. But the improvement week over week and the dedication he has, and you know, he said that was his first ever pick six, which is awesome. I just I loved every second of it. And I think Cade, and we can kind of transition into Trey Rucker too, as I throw it back to you. I think Epps has the better athletic ability to play that field safety spot than a Trey Rucker. And I think Trey is playing Lyric Rawls boundary spot, maybe a little bit better than Lyric was. I think, I think such a good point. And I totally agree with it because I think that Epps, if he's got to cover the field, he's more athletic than Trey Rucker. He just is. I think Rucker's a better hitter, but that's what they kind of wanted Lyric Rawls to be was the guy to come up and and lay a hit on somebody. Granted, Lyric Rawls had that pick earlier in the year, but I, I just, I love what I saw from Epps. You're exactly right. He's going to have busts. Frankly, I think this, this week will, it will challenge him. I'm not going to say he's going to have one, but the way Kansas moves there, so you much know, eye all, candy. so much eye candy. I can't imagine that we get through this game and we don't have something to talk about with cam Epps in a breakdown in coverage or anybody in the defensive backfield for that matter. So to your point, I think that the, the involuntary switch worked out really well and it's good to have Trey Rucker out there because if not, I think you're in a real bind. Yeah, and Trey Rucker, I thought the big thing for him in this game was the angles he took to make tackles. I just, he was taking such bad angles in other games. It wasn't so much that he was missing tackles. And in this game, you know, he's got a second down in the red zone where he makes a beautiful tackle that leads to, I think, a third and six. Then a huge tackle on third and one. They end up converting the fourth down after, but he, Tackles Will Her- Will Howard out on the perimeter. I just think I think the boundary spot suits him better. He's still, you know, maybe a little loose in coverage at times, but I thought he was more aggressive in this game. I thought it was a great all- overall game from him. And then kind of to wrap it up with the safeties, Kate, as I throw it back to you. I, I think in this game, I Kendall Daniels might have been the worst of the three. I'm glad you said it first, but I was going to say it. I, I absolutely agreed. I, he wasn't bad, but this is no, multiple no, no, games. No, not bad. Not bad. Multiple games, though, where it's I've been left wanting a little bit more from Kendall Daniels, who's put in a spot to make plays, right? Like that. that's what that position is in Brian Nardo's defense. The guys around him are doing it, though. So uh, it's hard to look at him and be like, he's got to be better. It just, I would agree with you. He just ended up being the least impressive this week. It's it's still, and I think we said this last week, and maybe we didn't. If we didn't, he's. It looks like he's thinking too much. Yeah, I think so. It, it's to the point where it almost looks like he's not wanting to make contact, but we know that's not the case because we've seen him absolutely destroy people. And maybe he's a little banged up, and that could be why. But it looks like this rover position, he's still kind of finding his spot and it's it's something different than he was playing in the prior defense he's still a really young player i thought he took some better angles in this game but you know there was that one missed tackle he had in the red zone on a screen pass where he's there he read it correctly misses the tackle you know he took a bad angle later looked a little timid a little soft in coverage at times but then you know, there's a throw where he makes a tackle and holds for a third down 
where he gets out there quick enough. So it was a little up and down, kind of like a Josiah Johnson, how he said he was a little up and down, made some good plays, made some bad ones. I just think it's, to me, it looks like he's thinking too much. And I do think the end result is that it looks like he's a little bit shy of contact. Like I, I absolutely agree with that assessment. It was something I was talking to family about on, on Friday night. Like you do want him in there in the mix. It's a little bit of the Xavier Benson thing for me. Like, I don't think Xavier Benson is shy of contact, but he's just not at the point of attack enough to where it's like, yeah, he he wants to he wants to be the guy to deliver that blow that Colin Oliver has been, you know, that Trey Rucker appears to be. So I think it'll I think it'll work out, but so far through five five games, it's not been as as awesome as I expected with Kendall Daniels. Yeah, I agree. On to the linebackers, Cade. Nick Martin. I don't know oh. what it, it's going to be. One of those where we don't talk about him for a long time because he played so good. Seventeen total tackles, a pick, a sack, two point five total tackles for loss, and ten of those tackles were solo. Coming into the season, after you and I watched film on Justin Wright, after I gave you know you and I talked after I went to that practice, and after what we saw from Nick Martin at times last season, you and I both decided we were going to put Nick Martin ahead of Justin Wright on our depth chart just because of his pure athleticism, even though he's a little bit undersized. Losing Justin Wright for depth is huge. I'm not saying that at all. But if Justin Wright was fully healthy, I don't think he would be playing that many snaps. Is that is that a Not after prediction? Friday. Not because after that. There is... I don't know how many and you know we've prepared for what six games now with KU counting. I know UCA and South Alabama are some of these teams, but watching other teams linebackers and we'll keep Daniel Green out of it for K State because he's probably on par with this. But first team, I'll be no stopping. one, no one is a, as explosive that I've watched this season as Nick Martin at the linebacker spot. No, I also said on last week's episode that I was most worried defensively about him. Like I, I thought he could get washed up in some things and for him to come out and not just not get washed up in things, but to be the playmaker outside of Cameron Epps, who obviously with the pick six, take just disregard that for a moment. Nick Martin was all over the freaking field. I mean, he, he was, kind of like man possessed again. And his celebration after the sack is like, I don't know how he frankly has the energy to, he just kind of balances around and he's physical. He's undersized, but I think he makes up for it in speed and physicality to the point where it's like, Oh, Oklahoma state has like a real deal linebacker out there right now in Nick Martin. And I think Dustin, is he a sophomore or is red shirt sophomore? Yeah. Red shirt. So, more youth on the defense, light bulb starting to turn on. I feel like this is like 2019 all over again, where it's like, okay, there are some young guys defensively. The scheme, it seems like they're starting to pick up on things. Nick Martin's the main reason I can't wait to see what this looks like in four weeks. I, I don't even want to wait till the end of the season because I think he can anchor the middle of that defense. And that is not at all what I thought I would be saying after this game, but he's not going to face many more physical offensive lines than the one he just faced. 
Yeah. And, and to that point, Kate, and to your point from last week's pod, this K-State offensive line is still really good. We saw Cooper Beebe yeah. absolutely demolish Colin Oliver, pancake him once. He washed up Nick Martin. So did KT Levinson. They still got well, – I mean, we're talking about a K-State team that still ran – for 220 or actually 239 yards. If you take out that fumble, they still had way too many explosive runs on the ground. They had seven rushes for over 10 yards, uh, including that big Will Howard one for 70. So I'm not, I'm not saying this was a flawless game by Nick Martin or the defense, but this is going to be one of the best offensive lines they face. And he looked like he held his own and more. This is one of those games where the stat sheet does tell the story. Like Nick Martin with 17 tackles was just in the mix on everything. And to your point earlier, they were running so much over the middle in the pass game because it's all they had. He was in on all of those angle routes that DJ Giddens was running. He was kind of helping out. If Senate came over the middle, he, he was just everywhere. And I just, I was blown away really with how he played. Yeah. I thought he looked good in coverage. I, I thought when they tried to release a tight end, like Senate or Swanson up on him, it, he, it, they didn't even like lay a hand on him. He would just brush him off. They sidestep. That's all he needs. Yeah. You had to throw one of those really, really talented offensive linemen up there at the second level on him, or he was just going to have a free run yep. at the running back. So it, I loved it. Um, I actually thought, Xavier Benson, again, it's another week where like he had a couple plays that popped and then I forgot about him the rest of the game unless I completely keyed on him. But I thought this week was definitely, I thought this was his best because he popped this week because in coverage, I thought he did a good job in coverage and you saw, and I'm sure KU saw this a couple of times when he followed that slot receiver out on the out, Will Howard handed it off on the RPO and it ended up being like an eight-yard gain because nobody was over there until the yeah. safety, which was Cam Epps on that side. Sure, KU is going to target RPOs to the field side when they see Benson lined up over the slot. But uh, you're taking away that slot throw, and you won the game. So you just you know we talked about this last week. You're going to take things away, and the offense is going to find things they like. But Benson made a really nice tackle too early in the third quarter where he stopped the guy, I think for like a one yard gain, he got banged up and came back yeah. in just continuing to show his toughness. Not saying it was an A plus game from Benson, but I definitely think it was another game, which I think it's like two in a row now where he's popped in a positive way. Man, your call out on the RPOs is, is fantastic because it's such an easy detail to miss. But I, th- I think that, I don't know if Will Howard's touchdown was on an RPO, but it felt like multiple times that really DJ Giddens was one guy and it was on those field side RPOs where nobody's there. And then I don't know if it was RPO, it might've been quarterback power, but it was really to that weak side where there was not a whole lot of help. You get one block and you're gone. So um, I totally agree with you. I th- I think that it's something that Kansas will key on, but I love your call out because it's such an easy detail to miss. And it it's so crazy when you switch to Colin Oliver to talk about him. His plays bad and good pop. So it's it's just weird. It's weird in my brain how like I have twenty notes for Oliver and like five <laughs> for Benson, but. You kind of like a weak side linebacker that doesn't pop up on film that much, though, right? Because if yeah. so, he's probably messing up. 
Well, Oliver, on the other hand, I think he was kind of, you saw how good K-State's linemen are with Oliver because he did get, I had him as pancaked twice. He got washed up several more times than Benson, but, or than Martin, but it let Martin run a little bit more free because Oliver's flying through there sometimes and taking these guys apart. And then Oliver looked really good in coverage, I thought. Like I talked about him running with Senate, him running with Giddens. He ran on the wheel route with Giddens where Howard was looking, but Oliver was right on him. He was physical off the line of scrimmage, I thought, whenever he was in the even front looks. He swatted the ball down at the end of the game to end the game, basically, on that fourth down. He pressured Howard on the Martin pick. I thought he lost the edge to the boundary a couple of times. You just talked about that with some of the stuff K-State was trying to do into the boundary. I thought overall more, way more good than bad, but his bad popped in this game because Kansas State was able to get some big plays off of it. I think you're going to see a little bit of that as the offensive lines continue to be really good that you're about to play. Kansas, Oklahoma. I do wonder what Colin Oliver his overall impact is going to look like over the next. You just started weeks. playing linebacker, so you're right. definitely going to see it. I, I just, I just think that it's coming, and if you're, he may be able to offset it with some creative blitz packages, but I, this is still new for him, and so I think your your questioning there is is perfectly warranted, and it's kind of where my head is. On the D line, Cade, this this is the odd front D line game. No stats, but I thought they played awesome. Yeah, I mean, and it it's a game where you from, could, you know, like a Julio Johnson sack. I'm not saying no stats at all, but like if you look at Kirkland and Clay, I thought both of them had great games, and they have like no stats. <laughs> I did. That's pretty fantastic. I don't know what that says. I think it actually says a lot about Will Howard and Kansas State's inability to get much going at all because their run game was kind of stymied outside of Will Howard's, you know, long touchdown run. I additionally thought that it was awesome to see Jalil Johnson out there. I'll start with him on that sack to end the game. I thought it was great. Yeah, he's so I had some of my notes on Johnson. I thought he was awesome on passing down. So he only played pull it up he only played 10 snaps and most of them were passing snaps. And I thought he was awesome on all of them. Red shirt freshman going up against a good O line. I thought he got bullied on the couple non-passing downs, but you know, I say that. And then on the sack at the end of the first half, he bull rushes the guy to get the sack. And then, but then, you know, in turn, like what I'm talking about on the negative side, he's right there setting the edge on that Giddens jet sweep. And Giddens just runs right by him. And he didn't even, it was like, it didn't click in his brain that, hey, oh, the running back might be right here. I'm in position. Let's make the tackle. And that'll just come with time. But he's awesome. I love Jaleel Johnson. I loved what I saw. My notes on Deshaun Brown are almost the exact same. Loved what I saw from him on his pass down rushes. He only played, or he actually played quite a bit more snaps in this game than Jaleel Johnson did. I think I had him at like 30 but I thought he looked good. I thought he had pressure on Howard on that Martin pick along with Oliver. So both of those young defensive ends, just the fact that they were rotating in, they rotated in six defensive ends, two nose tackles. Then if you throw Oliver in on even front, 
that's nine guys they were rotating in on a three-man defensive line. <laughs> it's kind of wild, actually, that they're that deep, and we kind of thought they would be, but that they actually are. And what I loved kind of coming into the game, and I mentioned this earlier, but I haven't seen a lot about it, and I think it was because of the opponent. They started the game with Goodlow in Nathan Latou's spot. I mentioned this earlier. And Anthony Goodlow ends up playing his most snaps and his highest percentage, 51 snaps. That was 68% of the DN snaps. And we just talked about how many guys they rotated in. Mm-hmm. He played more snaps than anybody else as a defensive end. And then Walter Scheid on the other side. And I think it was, K just to clog the middle up yep. and try to get these linebackers running free and not allowing these K-State offensive linemen uh-huh. to get up to the second level. And they still did. They still busted some big runs, but I thought for a lot of the game, Kirkland, Clay, Goodlow, and Walterscheid were able to just kind of take up space and allow Nick Martin to run free and knock heads off. Yeah, it's a great way to break it down. I I think you're exactly right. And I think it's interesting, too, that I think you're going to see this in this 3-3-5 where your edge rushers primarily their job is to just make contain and push right like you don't you don't want to let everything uh you don't want to let a guy pass you but additionally it's like there's only three of you so you got to be a little bit mindful of that maybe more so than you would in an even front so i felt like this is what the remainder of the season ideally would look like from the defensive line granted you would want to see justin kirkland i mean mauling dudes But in all likelihood, it's going to resemble something like this. And frankly, I can't wait to see what they do against Kansas, a team that does not throw it a whole lot, ran for like a thousand yards against Central Florida this last weekend. Do they go even front? Do they stick with the odd and just try to spill everything and let the linebackers clean up? It's now I'm fascinated to see what they do because they've shown some flexibility now. Hey, you've done it again (laughs) because I don't really have that many more notes on the defense. I think we can get into the Kansas preview if you're ready for that. I did I did want to mention real quick on special teams. Alex Hale. Oh. He's the go- the goat, I think. You know, I he gets Hudson Cack and Tom Hutton get all this love from the local media for being Australian. <laughs> this guy is the best Australian. He's the best Australian. He's hilarious with the media. They were trying to ask him all these questions, and he's just such a bro, so chill, giving them like nothing. Just like, dude, I just go out and kick field goals, man. What do you want me to say? That's basically what he was answering, all these questions. I love Alex Hale. So this is the second time I've seen him with the media, and both times he acted like that, and that is my favorite thing in the world. He's also a great kicker, the one – he should have been perfect on the game if Josiah Johnson fault. blocks that. And it actually didn't look like the best snap either from my guy Zeke, which he's been great snapping all year, but definitely not on Alex Hale. I thought he was awesome. I thought West Paul getting all the punts. I called for that because I don't like the place punting and you're kicking long punts to Philip Brooks, who's just as good as a return man as Jalen Knoll. And it worked out this game. So I think you got to continue to do that. And kid, maybe I'm getting a little cocky with my special teams takes. That's because I don't like special teams. And so 
I'm going to, when I have takes on it, I'm going to keep going back to them. Well, we talked about Josiah Johnson, Logan Ward, great kickoffs all game. Then he kicked one out of bounds. And my last note, Parker Robertson continues to dominate dog on yeah. punt. He almost killed full. Luckily, Phillip Brooks took the fair catch on one because he almost got killed and he got destroyed on another one. And I said, that was my last note. I actually had one more. Poesa Utu on the kickoff just throwing his shoulder into Brooks and knocking him sideways, making him do a flip. Nick Martin said that gave the entire team momentum, that play. Whoa. See, it's the things that you could totally lose. Not, I mean, that's an amazing quote right there. But I will say, Dustin, Mike Gundy says he doesn't listen to talk radio. He didn't say anything about podcasts. The evidence is starting to mount up that there may be either his ears or somebody close to him with your call for the correct punter in this game, the evidence is mounting that he, he may be a, a closet uh, feels like 45 fan. What's different between Noel and Brooks? Nothing. They're like the same guy. Nothing. I think he so probably, why did cock kick in the other game and Paul kicked all the punts in this game? I, I really don't it was know. a field position. They got a they, transfer portal. That's the only answer. You got to keep your punter out of the transfer portal. So you got to rotate him. I can only handle one non-American special teams guy. And if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be Hale. Man, uh, that I almost went in an interesting direction. So Dustin, Oklahoma State welcomes the Kansas Jayhawks to an unforeseen big showdown. I mean, this is a big game for both teams in Stillwater this weekend. I I won't say the line. We'll save that for later. But Kansas coming in at five and one, they really their lone loss was at home on the road, I should say, to a Texas team that was cooking with peanut oil at the time. This is a good football team. And Dustin, I think this may be the best team that they've faced up until this point, which not to call you back to our season preview episode with Adam Lunt, but when we address the question of who's going to surprise in the Big 12, Kansas was my answer. And I thought that Jalen Daniels would be part of that. But Jason Bean, who I always want to call Jimmy Bean, shout out to Jimmy Bean, the uh, former rush edge rusher for Oklahoma State. Every time I want to call him Jimmy Bean. Jason Bean, equally dynamic, less of a threat to pass it. But still, Dustin, I, I think that this Kansas offense is a totally different animal. They they run some triple option. They want to run it just about any which way they possibly can. They did it to Oklahoma State last year, not against the three down. And so to say that I'm uh, nervous would be accurate in this game because I think Kansas matches up well on their end. Like they're going to think they match up well with Oklahoma State. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of the same names. And that was a great breakdown, Cade. You're going to see a lot of the same names. If you look back at the box score from I last year. I saw Neil. You're probably going to get Jason Bean at quarterback, who threw for 203 yards on a 78% completion percentage and two touchdowns. You're probably going to get Devin Neal at running back, who rushed for 224 yards and a touchdown. You're going to see Lawrence Arnold at receiver. You're going to see Luke Grimm. You're going to see Jared Casey at tight end. So on this Kansas offense, you're going to see a lot of the same names that led to this 37 to 16 victory with myself in attendance in Lawrence. And I, 
I agree with you. I think this Andy Andy Kolzinecki's offense is the most fun, in my opinion, offense to watch in college football. It's Hands almost down. like it's like you're watching one of the military schools offenses with way more passing game mixed in. It's a old school kind of wing T wishbone flex bone triple option offense. That's been morphed into more of a spread. It's like a spread wishbone offense almost. And they're a good team. Lance Leipold has them at five and one. You mentioned their one loss to Texas. I think they may have lost anyway due to their defense in that game but you have to remember that leading up to that game Jalen Daniels practiced all week he took every rep in practice and then the day I think it was the night before the game or the morning of tweaked his back tweaked his back re-aggravated his back injury that's been plaguing him throughout the offseason and Jason Bean had to start after not taking any barely any first team reps in the game plan, not being tailored to him at all. He did not look good at all in that Texas game. And, you know, they got beat. And like I said, I think they would have still got beat anyway, but it was a, their one loss comes with that kind of asterisk on it. So it's a little tough. I like this Kansas team. A lot of people had them winning, you know, seven ish games going into the year. They're already at five. I don't remember what their, I don't, for some reason, I don't have the Vegas over underline in front of me, but they're going to hit. They're over. a really good they're team. Good. <laughs> yeah, they're a really good team. Offensively, just to read off some of the stats real quick, Cade, they're a hundredth in passing offense, sixth in the nation in rushing offense, sixteenth in yards per play, sixteenth in sacks allowed, seventeenth in points per drive, and then this is more of an offense defense stat, but twenty third in turnover margin. I think they got some of the best skill players in the conference in your Luke Grimm, Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, even their backup running backs and Dylan McDuffie and Tory Lachlan are good. Mason Fairchild at tight end, Trevor Cardell, Jared Casey. They've got one of their receivers who I think won like Big 12 special teams player of the week in Trevor Wilson, Tanaka Scott, Doug Emelian. These guys are all really talented, not to mention they're returning four starters on the offensive line. They're probably the only other team I know of that rotates guards just for the fun of it. And Michael Ford and Kobe Baines, their offense is their strength and their offense has been really good this year behind Andy Kotzenecki. Cade, what have been kind of the things that have stood out to you from this Kansas offense? Well, as a team, they return 17 of 22 starters. And as you just listed all those guys off, they've all been there. It's kind of like when Baylor won the national championship in basketball. It's like, well, those guys have been there forever. I'm not saying Kansas is going to win the national championship in football, but they're going to be a factor in this conference in November. I think a lot of it is because of experience. And I think a lot of it is also coaching. I do think Lance Leipold has that. I mean, there's actually no question. This is not, he has turned it around. That is a good football team. And they are talented up front and they are talented in skill positions. And Dustin, I I just think they present maybe I think they present the biggest challenge offensively that Oklahoma State's going to see all season. Like that includes Oklahoma just because of the ingenuity in their play calling and their scheme and their play design. I mean, it's just it's fun to watch. And you haven't seen a team really smother them in almost two years it hadn't felt like Texas did a really good job they 
had a distinct advantage in the trenches, which is actually where I think Oklahoma State on the defensive line could pose some issues. That's how Texas really kind of controlled that game. I think that's where Oklahoma State can do it. But on the perimeter and at the tailback spot and even at the quarterback spot, whether it's Bean or Daniels, I am very impressed with Kansas. Yeah, and you know, scheme-wise, we talked about it a little bit. Motion on pretty much every play. They like to go 11 and 12 personnel with one of those tight ends and Fairchild, Cardell, or Casey out there, and sometimes even Fairchild and Casey out there at the same time. They'll put their running backs out in the slot. They'll go empty. They like to use Tory Lachlan, who's listed as a running back, as a slot receiver. Run scheme, it's gap and zone, but they also mix in that triple option. They'll run the triple option fake Cade and it not actually be part of the play, but just as after the snap, eye candy, just to keep you guessing, like they were never going to run the option. It was always a handoff, but they still run out the fake. They like to pull tight ends. They like to pull their guards. They'll pull guys from the play side. Like we saw K-State do at times. Jalen Daniels is obviously the guy you don't want to face at quarterback because he's one of the better quarterbacks, I think in the conference, maybe even in the country. But Jason Bean, we saw what he did to Oklahoma State last year. He's not kind of the side-to-side shifty runner that Daniels is. He's not the – I don't think he can keep the play, the pass play alive as long as a Jalen Daniels can. But this is an extremely talented running quarterback that can run the option with the best of them. And I don't really think Kansas changes their scheme very much when he's in. They may even go to the triple option more than they do with Daniels. Do you agree? I would agree with that. And I think the the part you just said where they don't change much, we saw that last year. I mean, Jalen Daniels was recently injured and they brought Jason Bean in and he lit Oklahoma State up and it was like, okay, well, he's pretty good too. And since then, that has been the case. I mean, he's not as, I don't think he's as game-breaking a passer, but he broke Oklahoma State through the air last year. He's done it against Missouri State this year. I think he's, if Jalen Daniels is a 10 with his legs, is Jason Bean an eight? Like, I I think it's, he's still really good. I mean, he's one of the better running quarterbacks in the country and he's their backup. So uh, it's, it's tough because in the passing game as well, it's a lot of picks. They'll do stuff like mesh, do a lot of rub concepts. They try to make it to where they're creating the advantage for themselves because this is a, t- you know, Colton Ecke and Leipold were at Buffalo and Whitewater schools where, you know, you don't have the upper echelon power five athletes. So you got to try to fit, especially when you're at Buffalo scheme guys open, which I know people say they want Casey Dunn to scheme guys open. Well, Colton Ecke does it with this offense. And now they have some of these upper tier skill players as they continue to recruit better, but they've, they keep going with the triple option. They keep going with the pick and rub routes, the mesh, the spacing concepts, the RPOs, and guys get open. And the other thing, Cade, we haven't even really talked about that much. This offensive line, it I don't think they're personally, I don't think they're as good as Kansas State's, but they're experienced. They're and good. guys I'm like Mike, Mike Novitsky yeah. at center, Bryce Cable do at left tackle, Dominic Puny, or Bryce Cable does right tackle, Dominic Puny at left tackle. The two tackles are awesome. The center's awesome. I think, you know, that there's a little bit of question mark at the guards. You know, I said they rotate Michael Ford in and out, but they haven't been bad and they've all been great run blocking. It's it's a hundred percent the way I see it with them. They are 
very much good enough to do what they want to do at a high level. So it's like, if you look at the offensive line individually, it's like, yeah, they're not road graders, but they run the ball at maybe they're, they may be one of the best rushing teams in the country by the end of this season. So, I mean, the offensive line is part of that. I just think their scheme puts so many guys in conflict. I mean, at the second level of the defense, I mean, you look at a Cameron Epps, who congratulations on your two uh, picks last week. You will be focused on, I mean, all week in film, uh, they will look at, I mean, your, your corners and their ability to tackle. I would think everything's going to the perimeter in a game like this. Not everything. They're going to try, they're going to test the three, three, but they're going to put Oklahoma state's young uh, defensive backfield in conflict. Most of the game. Yeah. And, you know, kind of on the flip side, we've talked really positive about them, but as far as some of the things you could maybe exploit, it's a, it's a pretty even, it's 50, 55-45 split on carries between Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw. Neal's 5'11", 215. Highshaw is 5'10", 220. They're both shifty. You go to PFF, they have like the same amount of missed tackles forced. They do more gap scheme stuff with Neal and more zone. That's kind of one difference there, but they're both awesome perimeter runners. Neal, 72% of his yards have come outside the tackles on the perimeter. It's it, They do a lot of stuff, but I said negatives. They have had some fumble issues. It's something that Bean has had issues with in the past as well. We'll kind of see what happens with them in this game, but... I just I think these running backs are really good. And then Dylan McDuffie, six six foot two fifteen, he can come in, in the red zone and pound the ball in. Kid receiver wise, though, it's kind of like Kansas State, even though their top three are really good. They only have three guys outside of Skinner, Grimm, and Arnold, only one other receiver has five catches. Yeah. I mean, they are talented at the wide receiver spot, but I I'm not like blown away by a game breaking ability. I frankly just think that those guys are perfect fits for what Kansas wants to do. I Luke Grimm, I feel like has been there for nine years. He's like the Adam Morrison of the big 12 for me, but he's just a thorn in everybody's side because he's pretty physical for his size. I think he's probably, he's really athletic. Like if you watch him, he's, he's one of the more athletic guys on the field at any given moment. So I like what Kansas does. And again, I think it's their scheme probably overcompensates for that. This is not a shot at their skill talent, but their, their approach makes them better. Yeah. And Arnold's kind of their deep threat guy. He's good after the catch Skinner's six, five. He's the contested catch guy. And then Grimm's more of the slot. We mentioned Fairchild. KC's more like their fullback. Fairchild's more like their pass-catching tight end. And then with Bean Cade, I think the one thing for him is over his career, he's had games like that Texas game where he's been extremely inaccurate. He doesn't always make the huge, big mistake where he throws multiple picks. But, you know, 63% completion percentage this year. In that Texas game, I think he was below 50%. He's a guy you can make uncomfortable, and he's a guy that likes to throw the ball over the middle of the field where it, Daniels does too, where you can you know hide some guys, maybe make, force him into an issue. I think that's what Oklahoma State will try to do. In this game, if you're Brian Nardo, I think the obvious thing is stop the run 
and try to make yep. Bean beat you with his arm. I the agree. problem is, I think Bean actually can throw it around a little bit. He can throw it around. There's no question. But I, I think you got to pick one. I don't think you, I don't think you roll out there in your base. Do you? I, I think you see a lot of even front just to try. I mean, I said a lot on the perimeter. I think that's going to be if Kansas can't find success, you know, running it between the tackles. But I think they will if Oklahoma State primarily is in that three down. And that that may just be my own, like, you know, nervousness about running a three down front is you can get creased a little bit easier. Last week, though, we saw Oklahoma State do a pretty decent job. So, you know, to me. I will be interested to see what they do up front more so than really anything. I think your safeties, obviously Nick Martin's going to have to play well, but I think your safeties and your Colin Oliver, your Xavier Benson are going to have to be taking good angles, making sure tackles. And because we've seen KU likes to run the ball to the perimeter. And I think you, you can't miss tackles out there because these guys can hurt you. Neil and Highshaw both bust multiple big runs against UCF. So I we'll see kind of how it goes, but I, I'm I'm interested to see how the eye candy and the motion and the movement and the triple option is handled by some of these younger players or guys in new spots on this Brian Nardo Oklahoma State defense. Yeah, I think it's it's the storyline. On defense, Cade. This, I, I mean, Kansas defense, since they've been under Brian Borland, it's just a four down, two <laughs> linebacker. They've got their Hawk, nickel, safety, two corners, safeties. And it's, they've just, it's just a defense. It's just like the defense in Madden that you select. Is it that out there? It's just very, it's, they don't do a lot, but they know what to do. They're in the right spots. It's not so much a disguise, trick you, Iowa State-type defense. They're just a sound defense that comes out there and knows what they're doing, and they they don't do it really well, but they do it better than they did last year. That's that's exactly it. They they have definitely improved defensively. I, I don't know. I mean, they've returned a bunch of starters, but they just physically look different than they have in years past defensively. Like, you look at them and you're like, well – I thought we were going to put up 63 uh, and we put up 56. Like that's not the, the Kansas defense that they're going to run out there on Saturday. I, I just think that they're more physical. Um, I think that they are additionally, like <laughs> they seem faster than they ever have defensively. And I, I think as impressive as their offense is, the defense has caught up. And I, I do wonder if the, the scheme and the approach is by design. If your offense is so good, your defense just needs to be good enough. And that's the approach there. They seem to be taking and it's led them to, two, you know, they were five and zero last year. They're five and one this year. They're starting off. Right. Yeah. So to read off some of their stats, 58th in passing defense, 80th in rushing defense, 88th in defensive yards per play, 12th in tackles for loss, 24th in sacks and 94th in defensive points per drive. Like I said, their defensive coordinator, Brian Borland, just like Colton Eck, he has been with Lance Leipold for a long time. Just your conventional four-man, three-linebacker, which that 
line that hawk linebacker is kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid. He'll be the overhang player, kind of think like a Xavier Benson. They'll mix in zone coverages like cover three, cover two, quarters. It's it's kind of like the old Bill Schneider defense from K State back in the day. Kind of makes me think of that a little bit. They'll do some zone match stuff. I think you can hurt them with stuff like mesh. We've seen that hurt them this year, which Oklahoma State's like to run. Some of those route concepts that get that high-low triangle stress on their zone defense. They'll blitz some, some fire zone. They'll do some creepers, some simulated pressure where it looks like they're bringing guys and they're not. But the one, I guess, you know, you hate to say it's a positive when you're talking about injuries. Some of their better guys on the defensive line, like Jeremy Robinson, 6'3", 260, he hasn't been practicing. Hayden Hatcher, 6'3", 245, defensive end, he hasn't been practicing. They're a little bit banged up. And they're a little bit banged up on offense too. Well, you know, we mentioned Jalen Daniels. Taiwan Berryhill just kind of started playing again. Some of these guys have been hurt. And I think Kansas is a team that's really in need of a bye week. Yep. And I'm not sure at what percent they'll be as a defensive unit health-wise coming into this game. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to pull their schedule up. They have Oklahoma State on the road, a bye week, and then Oklahoma at home. So this is, to your point, this is their seventh game in a row. They probably are hurting quite a bit. I would think that Oklahoma State coming off a bye week and a and a physical win, but a healthy win against Kansas State, you should be the healthier team. You've got your home crowd in front of you. Like this is a this is a really big game for this program right now. And you know, it's it's amazing that it comes against Kansas, which is not what you're used to, but it's all the credit to them because they are I, I do think it hands down they're the best team that Oklahoma State's played so far. Yeah, and they, their defensive line, kid, we talked about Oklahoma State rotating a lot of guys. They've got 12 the and not, granted they do have a four down front, not a three, but they've got 12 defensive linemen who've played 50 or more snaps. This wow. Wow. So it's, you know, Robinson and Hatcher, Austin Booker, Patrick Joyner Jr. They've all been really good. I think their weakness on the defensive line has been the interior with DJ Wither, Withers, Tommy Dunn, Devin Phillips, Caleb Taylor, Keenan Caldwell, Gage Keys. They're not bad players. I think it's just been guys that don't always hold up at the point of attack, guys that you can kind of move off the ball. So hopefully Oklahoma State can exploit that. The linebacker unit has actually, I think, may be the weakest unit on the team. I like Rich Miller, 6'1", 230 at middle linebacker. But Taiwan Berryhill, J.B. Brown, Jason Gillum, Craig Young at that Hawk spot, they've all just been like okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why some teams have been able to have some success running the ball. I, you know, I said they're 80th in rush defense. It's the linebackers in the interior of the defensive line. So if Oklahoma State's able to run the football, open things up with the RPO game, I think they can target some guys in their defensive backfield, like an OJ Burroughs at safety, who's not been very good in coverage this year. I mentioned Craig Young. They're kind of nickel hawk linebacker safety. Target him. Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant. We know those guys. We know those guys have been good. Melo Dotson's probably who I would target if I had to choose, but both have been pretty good this year. And then we know Kenny Logan can make plays at safety. But there's some holes in this defense, Cade. We talked really good about the offense. 
And I'm not saying this defense is bad. They definitely improved from last year, but there's some holes that can be exploited here. Yeah. I mean, Central Florida put up a bunch of yards in that second half as well. I, I think maybe even giving credence to some of the fatigue that could be setting in on this Kansas team. So it's a good spot to catch them. You're fresh relatively. They're not. This is probably the time you would want to play them. I would think, um, not after a bye week because they're going to have the kitchen sink and the whole house to throw at you. So I'm oh, excited yeah. for that game here in a couple of weeks. But Dustin, I mean, are we ready to pick this? Let's do it. So I've got the line at KU minus three and a half and the over under at 57. So I am going to take, I'm going to take Oklahoma State outright. I think they're going to win this game. And I think they break 30. I I think it's coming. And I think it's because they're able to run the football. And I think they make a concerted effort. They're going to give up some in the passing game. But I think they make a concerted effort to try to slow down the Kansas running game as much as possible. Something that Central Florida was not able to do, whose defense is atrocious. I think Central Florida may have made Kansas. I think Kansas is really good. But I think Central Florida might be inflating the the recency uh, bias that I have towards Kansas right now. So, Dustin, I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win outright. I will take the over, and I'm going to go 37 to 28. I like that. Yeah. I, on my end... So Kansas, the only game they've lost this year is when they've scored below 30 points. So I've got them at 27, Oklahoma State's favorite score. And I have Oklahoma State breaking 30 by hitting or pushing 30. I'm going to say 30 to 27. So Oklahoma State to win outright, obviously to cover. And I didn't... I guess I didn't check the over-under line when I made this in my notes because I think that pushes... At 57 on the over Yeah, that's a push. That's the worst in all of sports gambling. So you pushed on 30 and you pushed on the over. (laughs) So I'm going 30 to 27, Oklahoma State. So we're both picking Oklahoma State to win. We probably should pick them to lose, knowing our luck. And I probably should not, or actually, I think we did a good job giving Jason Bean credit because we gave Will Howard credit. He played his first multi-pick game since he took over for Aaron all right, Adrian Martinez, and then we bashed Rocco Beck, and he went off. So, talked good about Jason Bean. Hopefully, he won't play well. If Jalen Daniels plays, I think still the same prediction for me because he obviously won't be 100%. I'll remind you of this stat. This is from Brett McMurphy. After OSU's win against Kansas State last weekend, Oklahoma State has won outright in eight of the last nine games in which they were the home underdog. So history would say Oklahoma State's going to keep this close and win. Um, I I just feel like the pieces come together. Like I just you saw a glimpse against Kansas State. It wasn't all perfect. It wasn't all there, but you got the win. And I think I think it rolls on into this week. So that's what I'm hoping. Uh, anything can happen. Kansas is is wild. They're a fun football team to watch. But uh, I think it's going to be good atmosphere too. It's going to be like 65 degrees. So it's going to be a, a perfect day for football in Stillwater. Yeah, I I may actually, this may be the only game this year, home game that I'm missing. Uh, my grandparents are in town from Baton Rouge, so I think we're going to hang out and watch the game with them. I may 
make a last second decision to go and just say, you know, screw don't you, need grandma to and yeah. grandpa. <laughs> screw my grandparents and don't need to hang out with them. I but think your priorities are in good shape. I'm probably going to miss this one. This might be my only one. Are you going to be there? Conversely, I am taking my entire family. This is going to be Claire's first game. This will be Olivia's third game. But uh, last year, she had an absolute blast. This year, she's a totally different human. So she's she knows where she's going. She knows Bullet's going to be there. It, it, she's going to be a, a handful on, on Saturday, much like the Oklahoma State running game. I love that. Yeah. Well, you guys have a good time. Before we get out of here, one more quick word from our sponsor, Cade, Wild Oak Lighting. Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website wildoak-lighting.com or you can follow them on Facebook or on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. You guys know, if you're a listener of this podcast, got the jellyfish lights installed on my house. They're on right now with the accent lighting. Might even, you know, I, if I wanted to, I could change them from my phone to do dancing rainbow lights if I wanted to right now or dancing orange lights. They're so customizable. They make lighting up your house for holidays or just accent lighting or just for fun in general. So easy. The guys at Wild Oak Lighting are awesome. Please let them know we sent you. Definitely check them out. Dustin, it's a it's a great point. It's almost the holidays. You got Halloween, you got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas. And if you got all that and you're going to pay for the lights, you might as well have them forever and make them look really good. The way they mount into the edges of your home for that flush look, you really can't beat that. So the guys at Wild Oak do a fantastic job and we're thankful for them. Dustin, before we go, I also wanted to thank a sponsor of ours who was beneficial to me this weekend in prize picks. If you follow us on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, you'll see me most weekends playing a little bit of that. Well, I had a great weekend on prize picks. A $15 bet led to a $375 payout. So I have to thank our friends at prize picks for that, but really more so my brain, but it is a encouragement or just something you could do to play with me on prize picks. Your first deposit up to a hundred dollars will be matched up to 100%. And I know we have a bunch of listeners who have taken advantage of that. Hopefully you've had a Saturday like I have, uh, because it was a long time coming. So anyway, we appreciate prize picks, wild Oak classic Overland, Charlie Hustle and everybody else who supports this show. Dustin, any final words before we get out? Just go Pokes, Cade. Let's beat KU. Go Pokes. It'll be a great week. If you're not already, follow Dustin at DustRagoo. Follow me at Cade Webb. And you can follow us at FeelsLike45Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. We will see you guys back here next week. Hope you have a great weekend in Stillwater. Go Pokes.